Hey guys, my name's Echo Kellum. I play Curtis Hall, aka Miss Terrific, on CW Arrow, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Deal Before Pod, the podcast that always hits the tennis ball. I'm Craig, your host, and after seven and a half years of watching Arrow, I'm ready to give it the send-off it deserves. But I can't do it alone. So joining me, we have a man who spent five years, sometimes on a hellish island. Is the UK a hellish island? Let's go with yes. Chris. (laughs) Hello. And it's more than five years. It's, It's more than five years. Sadly, more, more than five years. years. Yeah, yeah, but it's hellish. Let's start with five years and then uh, just add on a little bit of time each time we do a flashback. Yep, and some of the time you weren't there, and some of the time you were there. And yeah, yeah. Some of the time I've been off the hellish island and been on other hellish islands. Sometimes you wore a wig just to. I've even visited Mull. Like you've been there. Yeah. It's it's this whole thing. So Arrow, it finished. Can you believe it? I, I can't actually. I'm still sort of going. But he's not dead, right? You know, there's another episode in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, spoilers, Isn't that right? Spoilers. Yeah. Although we've already done the crisis one where you know he dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you've skipped crisis and come straight to this yeah. one, sorry. Once, well, once we get into the spoiler section, we'll be able to um, answer the question of he is dead, is he? or is he? Who knows? We will. We'll discuss that. But in as of Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is a podcast that was published yesterday, as per our time of recording, he's dead. But before we do that, let's get on to Neil Before and Rise Against. Let's do this this feature of ours. So, what would you like to rise against? Kick us off. Ooh, rise against. I am going to rise against something which I believe is in America and in the UK. I believe it has spread a bit like a virus. The Masked Singer. Oh, I've not heard of this. How have you avoided this? It is awful. It is some of the worst television in the world that has ever been created, and somehow I keep seeing bits of it. Now, I know that you don't watch real television. Except Um, Doctor Who. Except Doctor Who. Uh, on on your on your real TV, uh, yes. but the Mass Singer is on ITV in the UK, and it is a bunch of celebrities in costumes singing, but you don't know their identities because they're oh in a costume. God. Yeah, exactly. And who, each who week, has to guess? Uh, well, audience members guess, and a panel of judges. Who's on this panel of judges? Uh, Davina McCall. Oh. Sharon Osborne was on a clip that I saw the other day after the rugby. Um, who else was on it? Can't remember. Lots of folk. John lots Barman? of people. Let's We're go heading into lots. an era where he's everywhere again. Oh, uh, isn't uh, well? It might be that he's on that. I don't know because he's on Dancing on Ice, isn't he? Barman. I'm not sure. I think he's on Dancing on Ice. I know he reappeared in Doctor Who, and I was like, oh, it's 2007 again. <laughs> Every time you turn on your TV, John Barman is there for some reason. 
why you can never get enough of John Barrowman, surely. Yeah. Come no, on, you can't. That, and it you was, know. and it happened in 2007. We reached critical <laughs> mass in 2007. <laughs> and then he reappeared for Arrow in 2012, and it's like, oh, turns out anyway. you can. I... <laughs> in the world of a uh, celebrity slash reality TV slash rubbish Saturday night telly, this peaks it for me. So. Yeah, the mass singer. It can go. It can, it can go. It, it it gets into the sea. It can go on a hellish island for. Five it can years. go on a hellish island for five years. Yeah. And if it has learned anything, it can come back and save television. Could Until then, our, like, it's not welcome. Could that be our version of like, Room One Hundred One? Like banish something <laughs> to Leon you? Yes. Why not? <laughs> it can be banished. Yeah. We are sending all the celebrities, the panel, the judges, the show, the makers. They're all going on the island. There you go. Well, everyone knows how much I hate reality TV tripe, and I even I hate celebrity reality TV tripe even more. The only celebrity reality show I would watch is Celebrity Hunger Games. <laughs> I think that would be good. Yeah, let's just thin out the herd with a bunch of Z-list celebrities trying to kill each other. The survivors said, to be famous. We sent twenty-five YouTubers to an island. <laughs> yeah. We left them there. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> We gave them weapons. We told them they were on camera. They were. We set. We set traps. We left. All the cameras are duds. Yep. <laughs> Sounds good. Bloodthirsty, but good. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Send all those celebrities that no one cares about to this island and just let them kill each other. Be great. I would watch that, but I wouldn't be able to because there's no cameras. But yeah, it, it, sadly, we wouldn't be able to watch. We'd just be able to watch them leave. Yeah, that would be enough. I'd be like, I'm never going to see you again. Good. You know, it, it could be one of those ones where they just, every five years or so, fly a drone over just so that we can see what kind of civilization is built up around. <laughs> uh, maybe that. That that would be it. Yeah. Maybe. So that was a, a decent rise against, I guess. I'll never watch this, but yeah, I already hate it. Yeah. it sounds if, you, if you ever catch a bit of ITV during the, the Six Nations or something else that you're watching, you will see clips of this. It's unavoidable. It's not likely to happen. I think I'm safe. I would have to turn on the TV to do that <laughs> and put it to a channel. It's not going to happen. Other than Doctor Who. So unless adverts appear on BBC One, I'll be fine. Within I don't the next, know. what, four weeks? Yeah, current, current government policy, probably. Yeah, well. <laughs> TV license is going up. That's a rise against it, so. <laughs> there you go. That's yeah. Craig. Craig's got his rise against, sorry. <laughs> no, my rise against, it's probably quite an old one, but um, turns out they're doing a spin-off to the horrible live-action Aladdin that we had to sit through last year. Oh, no. Uh, and this, <laughs> it's hilarious. The spin-off is going to be in Disney+, Plus because of course it is, and it's going to focus on Billy Magnuson's Prince Anders. He's in, like two scenes of the film and he's really annoying I think, I can't really remember but for some reason that's worth a spin-off it's mental and apparently there's a sequel in development as well so that's like a double-barreled rise again because why is this pointless Aladdin remake getting more content that's spinning out of it it is weird with these things. I mean, I suppose Disney Plus is now becoming the land of the direct-to-VHS sequels, Disney sequels of our youth Yep. <laughs> you know, so that that's where they're going to go and live now. They're not going to get released on video or DVD. They're just going straight in there. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it always seems weird stuff. I mean, I've I've risen against before 
the a lot of the live action remakes. Aladdin, yeah, did not interest me whatsoever. Wasn't that great? And then you hear as well that they're going to be doing Bambi, <laughs> live yeah, action Bambi. Because right if against, there's if uh, there's some if there's some was it? Because if yeah. there's something that you want to see in HD, it's Bambi's mum getting shot by a hunter. Uh, I don't I don't get how that's going to work. Well, maybe so, you yeah. can call this one live action by putting a human in it. You know, the, the oh. hunter. Oh well, you could have uh, turn the tables where the deer fight back. I mean, I'm just saying that'd be that'd be kind of cool. I mean, that would be different from the original. So, mm. it looks like, yeah, it would be a twist. No, making making things different is wrong. Part <laughs> of it is the way to go. <laughs> so say yeah. Disney. I mean, I still um, like Disney to be fair, but whatever. Yeah, it, all, it all hail. Decisions. Yeah, don't don't don't. You know, we don't want to take down Disney because they now own our childhood. So uh, we can't. Yeah. I mean, they always <laughs> did. But, um, yeah, but they make some bad decisions, such as Star Wars, these live action remakes. I'm sure there's other things that they, they don't do so well. Mm. Yeah. So cool. No, I'm with, I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you on that one. But that was quick. Nothing else to say on that one. No. Okay, let's be positive. Rise against something. No, no. Be Neil positive and rise against. Be positive and rise against. <laughs> Be positive and kneel before something now. Well, okay, I have a little list. I'm going to go for, we've had little teasers of the Marvel shows that have come out. Um, all hail the Super Bowl, for it hails all the new trailers. So it's like, screw Disney. Oh, yay, Disney. Yay, Disney. <laughs> uh, just weird. as a foil. Do you, do you want that as a foil? Yeah, yeah. you know, it works. <laughs> it works, because now we'll still get our Feige check. So <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm, I'm yeah. still waiting on the Star Wars one. <laughs> yeah, that, why, that isn't coming anytime I, soon. That's why I gave it a negative review. <laughs> Come on, Kathleen Kennedy, pay up. Feige is so much more prompt with his bribes. Yeah. He yeah. knows how to bribe a blogger. We, we wish. We we really do wish. <laughs> oh, really? But yeah, I'll, I'll go I'll go in the uh, Neil before this. So we got a uh, little thirty second teasers of the different shows, which is kind of exciting to see. Um, not particularly giving you tons of detail. The one that interested me the most was the the one division stuff. Yeah, that looks so cool. That it just looks crazy because it sort of jumped between maybe four or five different settings. You know, time periods and stylistic choices, and I was like, that just looks crazy bonkers. So I'm there for it. That that just looks a bit like we were saying earlier on, something just totally different and just running away with it, which might actually be the best choice for that show. Yeah, it looks like you get like a 50s sitcom, something like The Honeymooners or something like that. Mm. 70s or 80s sitcoms, like, I don't know, Bewitched maybe? Yeah, it's got to be Bewitched, right? Scarlet Witch, Scarlet Witched, you know what I mean? You've <laughs> got to do that. And then things like Roseanne and stuff, more modern ones, that kind of style. And then there's that weird image of her looking like her present day self and like the whole background glitching and going all black and white and stuff. It's as I suspected it seems. She creates her own reality where she's able to live a happy life with vision but I guess it all goes a bit crazy and wrong and mm. she loses control of it. It looks fun. Yeah, it looks really really good. We also get a little clip of, or a couple of little clips of Falcon and the Winter Soldier yeah. and a little Loki teasery one-liner Essentially, yeah, he's, he's captured by some kind of uh, time bureau. Uh, it's actually a, a comic book um, accurate sort of organization 
that he's captured by, and he says something about burning the world to the ground or whatever. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Be interesting. I will um, obviously check them all out because I love Marvel stuff and we'll absolutely be getting Disney Plus when it drops, when it finally drops in the UK. <laughs> Well, the good news is that a lot of these things have been brought forward as well, which is a, a good deal before as well. They've sort of pulled the dates for these slightly closer, which is nice. Yeah, we're a week earlier for um, for that. They cancelled Hawkeye, though, which Jeremy Renner was kind of receiving some negative press lately, so it wasn't exactly a surprise. Hmm. Yeah, they're, they're moving production up. They must be getting through it faster than they thought, so... I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. I'll be interested to see what form these take, because obviously we've talked at length about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where they kind of wish they were close to the universe, but actually aren't. I don't know. It's, it's one of those ones, I mean, we've discussed this before, where they say, oh, you know, to get what's going on in the next film, you really need to see this TV show. And then it's like, well, actually, no, you, you don't at all. There's like, a, You'll see a character in the background of a scene. Or something flashing up on a news monitor, and that's the most you're going to get. With these, eh, you might do. I, d- I don't know. It depends on how, how close they follow. Because the next couple of films aren't really anywhere near those characters. Unless yeah. sort of Doctor Strange is maybe going to tie a few things in, but then, you know, all the things going on at the helm of Doctor Strange at the moment, I don't know what's quite well, going to be tied a, in there. Yeah, there's a bit of a rumour, possibly fan speculation at this point, that... Uh, Wanda could be the villain in the um, in Doctor Strange too, mm. driven mad by her attempt to create a, her own universe, and then Doctor Strange has to stop her. It, it would be meaningful enough, I think. Could be mm. interesting. Yeah, could be, could be. I mean, even though they spent their time setting up a villain at the end of the last one. Yeah, but that was a while ago now. I mean, we've yeah, had, we've all forgot. <laughs> we've had Endgame since then, you know, who cares? <laughs> Maybe Mordo comes back from being snapped and thinks, <laughs> my evil quest isn't worth it anymore. I'm just going to enjoy life. <laughs> so yeah, amped for these. It's good 30 second teaser. I quite enjoyed what I saw and I dare say it won't be long before we receive further longer teasers. I suspect once Black Widow and that come out, we're going to get more content, aren't we? We're going to get extra bits. Yeah, hopefully. Cool. Okay, so my Neil before, it's quite an old one now. It came out a while ago. It's a trailer for a film starring Ryan Reynolds. It's called Free Guy. It seems that he is playing a NPC in some kind of multiplayer online game. And he gains sentience, so he realises that he only <laughs> exists to be like murdered frequently for the sake of player bloodlust and then he bec- he gets drafted to become a hero of some sort i don't know the, the plot seems all over the place but i think the idea of putting someone in that kind of video game world and then making themselves aware and maybe poking fun at it could be interesting i like the trailer i like ryan reynolds it might just be wreck it ralph but not quite as good i don't know but what i saw of it i was quite Excited by it seems like it's right up Ryan Reynolds' street, you know, that kind of satirical childish humour that he does so well. No, it, it it sounds good. I have not seen this trailer, I'm only to have a little look, but I like the concept, I like the idea of a an NPC brought to life or life through the view of an NPC. Yeah, Definitely. it just depends how it all pans out, as with everything, but as a trailer, it got my mm. attention. 
Yeah, I, I know that occasionally, occasionally Ryan Reynolds misfires, but hopefully this is a this is a good one. He's on a bit of a roll at the moment. Like, I don't think I've seen him do anything awful in a while. I mean, all I've really seen him do lately is like Detective Pikachu and Deadpool, and Detective Pikachu that is basically Deadpool, but he's Pikachu. I'm trying to remember the one on Netflix, and I can't remember the name of it, which wasn't very. Oh, good. the Michael Bay one. Mm. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. I heard it was all right though. No, I didn't enjoy it, but I can't even remember the name of it. <laughs> it came up as if I got uh, Netflix and I went well, and watched it. And like, whatever oh. that thing is called will be in the show notes. Is it like Hit yes. and Run or something like that? I, oh, I'm gonna, yeah. Six Underground. I was there way you off. Go. <laughs> Six Underground. There we go. That's what it was called. Six Underground. I watched it and I wanted to fan. Anyway. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it, but I will watch it one of these days, maybe. Who knows? Don't, don't put it to the top of your list. <laughs> put it once somewhere I, in the middle to low. <laughs> once I stop watching Resident Evil speedruns on YouTube, maybe I'll watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but they're entertaining sometimes. Okay, so that was our Neil Before Rise Again segment. Uh, we got through that relatively quickly. Wonders never cease. <laughs> anyway, now we're on to our featured topic. End of an era of television that has spanned eight years, or like seven and a half years really, but a long time nevertheless. Arrow has ended, and can't believe it. So, without spoiling, what did you think of the finale as the kind of focus, and a bit of the last season as well, because we're going to have to fold all that in mm. since the last season is a finale, or part of a finale, it's really structurally quite weird and interesting but we'll get into that yeah um so the last episode i think was really good i didn't know quite how they were going to go about it considering the outcome of crisis i think they did the best that they could with it there was a little style choice at the beginning that was a bit confusing that i you know we can maybe talk about but i think it was really well done the characters that got back it was good seeing it was good that all the characters had a chance to chat about Oliver, really. I think you kind of summed it up in the in the little notes that we've got here of saying uh, eulogies. You know, the the whole program is essentially that in the finale. Uh, the last season, it's not Arrow's best season. I'm, you know, I'm going to go out there and say that. It isn't Arrow's best season. It acted as a really good warm-up towards Crisis, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it did Arrow that much justice in the end it had some really good wrap-up points it had some some good character beats and a little bit of good action but i wouldn't say it was the best season of arrow ever okay we'll get on to what you would say your best season of arrow ever is later on probably so i love the finale uh, i love the approach they took turning it into something of an epilogue for the series rather than what some finales try to do and try to make it a big epic showdown that you know has everything at stake. We've already had that, and it was called Crisis, and that was its own thing, and that was different, and that created an ending for Oliver Queen in its own way. This created a emotionally satisfying ending for Oliver Queen that factored in everything that had been part of his life for the past eight seasons, and I thought it was great. I found it emotionally devastating in places as well. Yeah, every emotional beat landed. The characters were used well. There were some nice surprises. I just thought it was a yeah, beautiful little coda to a show that I've loved for 
seven and a half years, you know, that I've watched from day one. Final season, I enjoyed a lot. I like the approach of every episode is essentially a nod to an earlier season in some way. So the, you know, the first episode is your nod to season one. Your second episode is the nod to season three, which is possibly why it's not so good or not as good as it could have been because season three is among the weakest the show's had and so on. Uh, I liked how they you know, built up towards Oliver's end point that he knew about. I liked what they brought in. I liked some of the action, yeah. Some of the action is memorable enough. There was a lot of good stuff in the final season. And I think they used their time well because they had a little bit less time than they uh, have had previously. Uh, but I think that gave them the kind of kick in the arse they needed to make every second count, so to speak. So, yeah quite a successful final run and obviously using crisis as your showdown you know your big action beat is a choice um, and there's been nothing like it on television in terms of preparing for the end of a tv show actually it's the first time this has ever been done so let's use a final season to set up for this final episode and let's use a crossover involving four other shows five other shows if you include black lightning uh, as a, a conclusion for our show as well Show me where that's been done before, because it hasn't. Uh, I don't think we can get any further into it without spoiling, so should we jump into or fire into or salmon ladder up the spoilers? <laughs> salmon ladder. Yes, let's salmon ladder up the spoilers. <laughs> get the salmon ladder sound, which is just a metal pole hitting against a metal frame. Okay, we can spoil now. Yay. Yay. All right, final episode. Let's dig deep. So we've already said we both thought it was a good ending. What did you think of the approach they took to make your, the final episode an emotional epilogue uh, about Oliver Queen, but not really starring Oliver Queen? I think it was the best choice. I think if Oliver had come back in some sort of ghost form or whatever for one final hurrah, it would have been like, no, you know, it would have sort of defeated it. I think it was a lot better seeing the impact that the loss of Oliver has had on the characters, giving them time to breathe. And like you say, acting is a good epilogue to go, so where did they go next? You know, it doesn't just finish with... And and then we buried Oliver, and that's it. That's it. Show closed. Done. Away. You know, let's just assume that everyone goes on and does a thing. A nice way of doing that. It also showed the tweaks that Oliver had done, whether you agree with some of the tweaks or not. It shows the different tweaks that Oliver had done to the universe. We've already seen the impact in a couple of the other shows, but it was good to see sort of specifically Arrowverse or Arrow stuff that he had tweaked, which I think was uh, interesting to see. I was a bit worried when it started and it was the documentary footage. I don't know if you had the same feeling as me. I was like, if this is going to be all documentary, this isn't the episode to do it in. <laughs> yeah, but also, after they were done with it, I was like, why did you do this? Either they, they had set up the beginning of it to be like... Because I know that they showed some of the documentary footage in... Was it the last season? I think the last season there was some video footage about that had been banned, and it was this documentary. Is that right? Yeah, but that was in the future that now doesn't happen. That's the future that doesn't exist, but the documentary had kind of been set up and we'd already seen bits of this documentary 
and then they started with this and I was like, oh no, we're not going to see the rest of the shot as a documentary again. I, we don't want that. Not for this episode, you know. It's an interesting concept somewhere else, but don't do a bunch of talking heads and then, oh, and uh, it happens that they went on to do this and so-and-so did this. Let's roll credit. I was like, <laughs> I, I didn't want to see that. And then when they cut it short, I was like, okay, so why, why did they put that bit in? It seemed a bit an odd choice. It almost seemed like they started out with one intention and then someone came along and went, no, 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 we're not doing that. <laughs> we're not doing that. Cut that idea. Cut I mean, that I idea right there. I guess it's one way to get in the, the public impact that Oliver's mm. death has. As in, we really want to make a documentary to memorialise him because people want to see this. But I kind of got that from the presidential address, to be honest. Yeah, we had... We had the presidential address. I mean, they could have done a newscast kind of thing. They could have done a little report. They they do that quite a bit on the telly. That could have done it. Yeah. I mean, anything. But at least it was brief. And then hmm. it just went on regardless afterwards. I think that was... I think it was the right choice to make it a bit more traditional in terms of the way they shot it. And you talk about some of the changes Oliver made. I think this is a good point hmm. to... To actually discuss them, so there are some people that were dead who are no longer dead, such as Moira. She's yeah. not dead. Oliver brought her back, and the opening shot, you, or the opening scene, you see him manage to save her from Slade. It's kind of disappointing that the only sighting of Slade we get in the final season is like archive footage that's cut carefully to make it look like Oliver won this time. But it's kind of okay to see him, I suppose. I think it's good seeing Slade in it, but. Yeah, I, I kind of thought it, it was interesting because I thought this is when I first saw that scene. See, it's kind of a bit like going from the documentary to this. I saw this scene and I was like, oh, so they're going to go back and they're going to show all the tweaks that Oliver's made one by one. So it'll be different seasons, different moments where he's saved characters that needed saving or 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 fixed any mistake that he's made kind of thing. You know, I shouldn't have maybe I shouldn't have killed that guy or I shouldn't have done this bit or I shouldn't have involved this person. And and they, they only show this one this one moment. But yeah, I thought it was an interesting choice. Yeah, and I was in two minds about it at first, but then I thought about it a bit further and then realised that... So these people are alive now and that's kind of a gesture of... I don't know, a gesture of well-being on Oliver's part. Mm. Or it's supposed to be. That's the implication. It doesn't ever confirm it unless you think that Moira knows a bit about quantum physics that she didn't know before. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, well, she's quite a resourceful woman, so and she had a lot of spare time on her hands, I guess. She had a few <laughs> extra years to do some reading. But, uh, <laughs> so the events of the lives of these characters that we saw all happened and those characters all remember those things so they all dealt with those losses and were affected by them in different ways so they aren't changed by the fact that people are now alive so it still happened but it was just in a different reality that no longer exists so I'm kind of okay with that especially with it being like the end of Arrow you know it's unlikely to have any major impact in in the future really Mm. It'd be different so, if this was season eight and the cliffhanger was, oh no, Moira's back and Tommy's back. What does this mean? And they've always been here. So how is the world different? And, but it's not. It's just 
I guess Oliver's final gift to the world is to bring these people that he lost back. But you do have to wonder what the history of this world is and the history of these characters before they had their mm. memories restored is if Tommy never died and Moira never died and they never got kicked out of the mansion and all sorts of things. Yeah, it is, it is one of those ones that if it wasn't, you know, if they were continuing Arrow after this in whichever way they decided to do it, you would sit there and go, well, hang on, how's all this going to fit together now? Like, what, what, what is the actual backstory? It doesn't invalidate. That's the wrong way of looking at it, but it, it kind of undoes some of the the sacrifice in the past, but I guess it's it's one of those it's a final episode thing, so why not? You know, yeah. I, I can't I can't particularly uh, argue against it too much. This world is different. We know it's different in many, 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 many ways. There's entire cities that now exist that didn't before. Um so why not? But it being Oliver's sort of choice to do it all, un- undo some wrongs, bring people back that maybe didn't deserve to go. Sure, why, why not? That seems like the kind of thing that Oliver would do. The fact yeah. that he's managed to erase crime entirely <laughs> as well. <laughs> there are none crimes left. All the crimes are gone. Yeah, yeah. But you know why they've done that? It's just so um, we can get away with not having a green arrow kicking about in Star City until 2040. Yeah, it's not it's not needed because there's yeah. it's you know there's been no crime and there never is any crime. I mean, outside the city limits, chaos. However, yeah. inside, once you cross the border, absolutely fine. Like anyone with a, any ill intent turns around and goes home. Yeah, central city, that's still screwed. National <laughs> city, screwed. They've all moved to Gotham. Yeah, Gotham still <laughs> riddled with crime, but Star City's all right. It's fine. Star City's fine. Star City has been saved. It was a start. Yeah, and that's the part about Moira's explanation that didn't really make any sense to me. You know, it's it sounds like a nice sentiment to begin with, but as soon as you think about it, it doesn't work. Because she says, uh, I think Oliver could only change the things that didn't change him. That's why his mm. dad's still dead. And that ties back to the, the pre-crisis episode where he said that all roads lead back to the island. Mm. Yeah, he wouldn't be the person he was when he died if he had never been on the island. And that's not something he regrets because it allowed him to follow a path that leads to Mia and leads to William. Well, William was conceived before the island, but you know what I mean. So that sounds well and good, except Oliver was fundamentally changed by Tommy's death. Hmm. I mean, he's been haunted by Tommy on several occasions. Yeah, and Tommy's death was the thing that encouraged him to not be a killer anymore. It was mm. in Tommy's name that he changed up his mission and tried to be more heroic and less lethal. And you're not telling me that Moira's death didn't change him. I mean, of no. course it did. No. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Moira's death changed him, Tommy's death changed him. The influences that they would have had having survived would have changed them as well yeah so it's not like you bring them back with no consequence whatsoever if they had survived those episodes of course they would have been an influence uh, later on in decision making of multiple characters not just oliver yeah although the main characters still have their memories of the old universe so what the lessons they learned the growth they achieved mm. as a result of those losses still mattered. But it does raise a question of, why did Oliver bring back these people and not other people? What about Diggle's brother? What about Barry's parents? What about... It's addressed in the episode Laurel, like Earth One Laurel, where she 
Mm. Why, why does she have to stay dead? Is it so Earth 2 Laurel can continue? But what encouraged him to make that decision? And there's so many other people that died over the course of the series that had impacts. I don't buy into the predetermined Oliver wrote the universe in his own image type situation because it does create those questions about why this person, not this person. And I like to believe that he just, you know, he, he sparked a new universe and then it just played out slightly differently. I mean, Moira's statement makes sense when you think of it as an emotional statement mm. because people who are grieving do say things like, well, it's how she would have wanted it. It's how he would have wanted us to live. You know, it's, we we did right by this person by doing this, etc. That's a common thing that happens when people are grieving. So if that is her way of taking comfort in the fact that she's alive and her son is dead, mm. that suddenly makes sense because she doesn't know. Nobody knows why Oliver made any decision to reboot the universe in this way, if it was even up to him. There's the implication over on Supergirl that Lex had some influence. You would imagine that all of the Paragons had some influence in some way because they all had to look at the forming universe and think really hard. <laughs> so it's just a cosmic thing and no one really yeah. no one really knows. Unless Oliver shows up and says, here's why I built the universe like this, then it's all speculation. And I'm just happy with the fact that no, no, he was instrumental in creating this universe and some of it is better and some of it means that people get to have a second chance at life, etc. It just so happens that a lot of these people are connected to Oliver Queen, such as Emiko. She's there. Hmm. It's like, what did he do during season six then? <laughs> or was it season good. seven? They're all good questions. They're all good. What happened in this? Uh, you know, you now want to see the alternate timeline of all the different things that happened. Like I say, we saw that with Moira, yeah. and I thought, oh, well, this is going to be how he tweaked everything to get to this point, and then you don't see it, and now I'm kind of like, ah, now I want to know what happened. It was season seven, Emical, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was a really quiet season for, you know, in this new timeline, nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't the, know. The, the, they spent a lot of time twiddling their thumbs waiting for crisis in this, uh, in yeah. this timeline. But there's other opportunities. I mean, if they wanted to go down the Oliver did this route, you could have just had Adrian Chase be around and be emotionally stable because Oliver didn't kill his dad and things like that. But I suppose they did that in the alternate universe. In the, yeah, the first they've, showed, season, they've showed a couple of sort of alternate timelines and alternate Earths through it. But yeah, it, it would have been interesting to see a little bit more about how things have changed. I don't really get the reasoning, and it might have just been like an intention-driven thing. I want the city to be free of crime. Uh, I want to right some of the wrongs. And that's the only mental bit that went into it. And then the universe wrote it that way. Like you say, yeah. it's also mixed up with what Lex did and what other characters were thinking at the same time. So in the mishmash, maybe he didn't get all the wishes that he wanted, or maybe he did get all the wishes that he wanted, but it had other consequences of other characters coming back that he didn't think of. Oliver works in mysterious ways. Yes. <laughs> My headcanon is that Moira is only saying that to make herself feel better. That's mm. how she copes, and that works for me. It's just a new world that's kind of similar to the old one, but with some significant changes. And the characters that all inhabit this world that were also in the old one all remember the old one. So they are the same people we, we knew. I just like to get used to a new world. 
I like everyone's acceptance of it. Like, yeah, yeah, of course, there was a completely alternate timeline before this one. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. Yeah, yeah that's Don't worry true. about it. True, sure. Yeah. Yep. Got fine. it. It's fine. Got it. Fine. Totally no. Totally no. Yeah. I, I believe you. I trust you wholeheartedly. <laughs> I will not write conspiracy theories on the internet. Yep. Uh, when the BBC News rolls at 10 o'clock and tells me that there was an alternate timeline before this one, I will suck it up and believe you. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of weird that the, the crisis is public knowledge, though, and what happened during crisis is kind of public knowledge. There's like news reports about rebooting the universe and things like that. It's like, yeah, is it, um, the, the entire timeline was restarted before we knew about it. So how do we? I suppose something happened. So yes, there was the anti-monitor fight. Much, I suppose yeah. if you think about how much trouble people in our world having have believing the media. <laughs> Could you imagine if I don't know? I'm trying to think of a news reader. Sorry, American listeners. Jackie Bird. Came on, like, <laughs> Good choice. Was she on nine o'clock news? I don't know. I don't watch the news. Uh, I got six o'clock. Six o'clock or ten o'clock, Craig. You've got your two choices. Well, whatever news, whatever news program she's on, whatever time of day, if she came on and was like, "Right, some guy is now dead, but he before he died, he rebooted the universe, and now we live in a better world as a result," I'd be like. Okay. <laughs> okay. Are, are we sure this is the better one? Um, yeah. I'm just wanting to check because maybe the guy made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm so, having a look yeah. around here and ooh, uh, there's a couple of other bits he could have changed if he had had the chance. Uh, yeah. One city might be better off, but everyone else <laughs> is just screwed. <laughs> yeah. You will believe who you sent elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Oliver being absent for most of the episode was an interesting choice, and I really like that the focus was on Diggle. Because mm. there were so many little bits and pieces flying in. It's like, here's, here's Tommy, here's Moira, here's this person, here's that person. Oh no, William's been kidnapped. And it's like, in a lesser episode, I think it would have been overwhelming. But Diggle kept bringing it back. Because it just, every time things got a little too much, it would go right back to him and how he's handling the situation. And suddenly it all fits in place because it's Diggle's story in effect. It's Diggle coming to terms with the loss of his... Best friend slash brother. We'll go with brother because yeah, they frequently refer to him themselves as that, as brothers. So I like that a lot. And there's no one that can get an emotional beat quite like David Ramsey. There really isn't. Mm. Not in any of these shows. I think he is routinely excellent at doing that. And you know, every word out of his mouth was just dripping with emotion. Yeah, I think I think it was a great choice of. Uh, focusing it around him a lot of the time, like you say, he's the, he's one of the original characters. You know, he's one of the people that we've probably seen in it the most. You want to see how he feels about it. Yeah. You know, you you don't want to be focusing on all of you know everyone because you're you're not going to get get that. And him not being able to accept that the work is done, that it's you know the city saved, that they're not needed or at least not needed to the same extent that they were. And sort of refusing to accept that until the end of the episode, I think, was quite a an interesting choice. You know, him finally saying, "Yeah, we're done. We're, we're done it." Yeah. Uh, him being the one to declare it closed, I think, was an, a nice choice. And flashing back to the point shortly after Diggle joined Oliver as well, and um, mm. seeing how driven Oliver was to his own version of the mission at that point despite how little sense it really made and, and just how 
merciless he was at that point. And it shows how Diggle influenced him by just encouraging him to do things a little bit differently. It's like, I'm not against your mission. You don't have to kill everyone. So just try not killing this guy and see what happens. And it doesn't sink in at first, but eventually it does. And mm. and Oliver's a better person. And it, it shows you that Oliver's a better person because of Diggle, quite uh, largely. Oh, yeah. I mean, Oliver, and his, he wouldn't accept help. You know, yeah. he, he actively avoided having help or having anyone with him. And I think putting that, you know, those scenes in there sort of showed how the characters developed and pushed on since those early seasons. And yeah, Diggle's influence on them, the way, the way that they've changed each other, changed each other's mindset, pushed each other in ways that they wouldn't have been otherwise. I think that was a, a great way of showing it. And um, interesting choice of sort of moments to go back to little little snippets I liked. Yeah, and you couldn't end Arrow without some form of flashback. It would, <laughs> it would have fell out of place. It's got to be a flashback. Yeah. And, and, and a slight flash forward? What do we get? A, a couple of minutes of, of 2040? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. A little, a little tiny, a, a scene of twenty forty. Yeah. yeah, and then you see it through like a time window later in the episode. Oh, there yeah. we go. Two shots. Two shots. <laughs> yeah. And having Mia around was a nice touch as well. Like I like the fact that she was dealing with recently getting to know Oliver, and then suddenly not knowing him, or not getting the chance to know him any better than she already does. Mm. But also being grateful for the fact that she did get to know him and. I found her grief quite realistic as well because yeah, she lost something she didn't know she had recently. Especially with her conflicting memories uh, that appeared during the Green Arrow and the Canaries episode. So she has a memory of having no dad growing up, which happens in both lifetimes that she's lived. But she also has a memory of knowing him pretty well. Yeah. So I like the, the fact that she has two conflicting sides of her personality and it's a good choice if this show gets picked up to have half of her be well adjusted because I think the stroppy, cantankerous Mia would have been quite grating over the course of an mm. entire TV show. But at least having like the socialite, bubbly, you know, knows how to handle herself in social situations but also has the badass training and attitude. It's a good combination, and I think there's a lot to be mined from her learning how to resolve those two sides of herself. Definitely, definitely, because like you say, it is a, it's a big conflict in the character, which makes it more interesting. Yeah, and Laurel and Dinah represent that the two sides of her personality as well, with Laurel <laughs> being true. the more reckless and impulsive and Dinah being the more level-headed and centred so, that's a good dynamic already. Yeah, one on one on one shoulder and one on the other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, no one ever said the CW uh, Arrowverse shows are subtle, but they don't have to be. You know, the here's a dynamic that we're going to explore, and here's what this character's function within the narrative is. Here's what this character's function is, and here's how they feed through this character, and that's what we're playing with over the course of the series. Fine, I have no problem with that, and. It's easy to see what they're trying to do, but it's how they do it. That's what I like. You know, it's how they play with that relatively easy setup. So I'll be watching Green Arrow and the Canaries. I hope they change the title because it's a crap title, but I'll be watching it. 
Yeah, I think it needs yeah. a, it needs a tweak. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mouthful, and it's not very Twitter friendly. But is is it not so that they fit Arrow in there? Isn't yeah. that the reason that they had sort of tweaked it? Yeah, they could call it yeah, Green Arrow should be in the title or something. But yeah, it's it's a bit long. But whatever, what's in the title? I know. At least it's not Green Arrow and the Canaries semicolon something something. You know, because yeah. that's <laughs> that's the main trend <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, so we had a couple of eulogies, large-scale eulogies. There was lots of scenes where people were just talking mm. about Oliver and sharing how important he was and all that kind of stuff. But Quentin's speech was was great because it could only be delivered by him. It was like, I used to hate Oliver, and I used to hunt Oliver, and then I used to work with Oliver, and then I died, and then I came back, <laughs> and then I died again, and then came back again, and uh, now I'm here with this statue. So... Yeah, good job, guys. Uh, but well, I mean, that's an oversimplification of what he said. But I think one of the things in TV writing is you often get characters saying things in scenes that are like, this could be said by anyone, you know, and let's give the flash a kicking again. Mm. So they're all standing in uh, the cortex, is that what they call it? it yeah. Is. Yeah. They're all standing in there and someone hasn't said something in a while. So they'll say something, even if it makes no sense to come from their mouth. They'll have to say it anyway. But having things that can only be said by certain people, that's a mark of good characterization. And I think Quentin's always been pretty well done. I mean, they've done a few missteps here and there with the backpedal with him mm. and things like that. But but on the whole, he's done. he has been done really well. And I think they justified bringing him back for that speech because that speech was, was everything. Yeah, I think he's one of those characters that if you were going to bring a character back who would have a good influence on the city overall. It's Quentin, isn't it? You know, you, yeah. you bring you bring him back in. Um, that speech, yeah, it's spot on for what that character would say. We've seen him say similar lines to Oliver in the past. We've seen him give a couple of speeches that are along those lines of, I used to hate you, yeah. I used to hunt you, I was wrong in accepting that. And for him to accept it in public and in front of people, I think is great. It was a nice touch. It was a really nice touch. It was, you know, we thought of him as a criminal. He was locked up. <laughs> he was he was hounded, but he did it all to to save the city. And, you know, he's achieved it. Yeah. I think it was a nice bit. I also liked when they gave that speech, they had sort of members in the public in the background, other mourners who were wearing green hoodies. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was just a nice little touch. It's like, of course people would do that. I, I thought that was great. Yeah, and I loved um, when Quentin says... I blamed him for killing my youngest daughter and the little look that Mia gives is like, what? <laughs> when did this happen? It's like, yeah, someone has to sit down and have a long conversation with her about <laughs> what's been going on. Let's go through the timelines here yeah. and the earths. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you only had a few days with him. You didn't have time to hear every story, but there are stories. I kind of missed William, though. I think one of the better things about the final season was the adult William. I really liked his dynamic with Oliver and I liked how that was building and obviously he gets kidnapped in the future so he's not mm. there. Uh, we get young William but he doesn't say anything. But yeah, I would have really liked to have adult William there because he's so good and it's not clear if he's going to be part of the main cast on Green Arrow and the Canaries or if saving him from being kidnapped is like their first season objective. And then he might join the cast in season two or whatever, but I'll miss him if he's not a part of that 
ensemble because he's so good and he really came into his own this season as well. Yeah, I thought they really developed him as quite a good character and they, they built him up really well. I don't know, I guess the only reason that they might not have brought him into the past is because he was already present at the funeral, I suppose. Yeah, could have brought Mia as well. You know, she's a baby, but... Well, yeah, yeah. But I suppose the the thing would have been you didn't get the chance to see this, but he did, so we're bringing you back to see it, that kind of thing. I don't yeah. know. That's that's my head my head explanation of it. Yeah. But yeah, they, they, they could have brought him back. You have to imagine that after the funeral, Felicity somehow gets custody of William and raises him and Mia together, because in that future, they're clearly pretty close. That's true. That's true. So it does seem like it changed a little bit. Of that as well. Yeah. Well, that was essentially Oliver's dying wish, or mm. you know, during his first death. Yeah, don't don't raise them apart. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess we'll get more of that if it gets made to a series, and I really hope it does, because I liked it a lot, and I like this newer version of Mia, and um, I like how she's so frightened of what it might mean trying to live up to her father's legacy that she's just done nothing with her life. We can all relate to that, surely. I mean, we're not as rich as she is, clearly, but <laughs> or maybe we are. Come on, come on, Kathleen Kennedy, need that. Check. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of. Well, whoever I admire casts a long shadow, so I'm always going to be compared to mm. them. I'm always going to be considered less than them. What's why the hell should I bother? That's. I mean, anybody that's ever wanted to do anything outside of their comfort zone has had that kind of niggling self doubt in the back of their mind. I think that thing of her, her proving herself in front of her peers, going out and rescuing William in this episode is like a, look, you can do this kind of thing. Yeah. And getting the respect from all the people that were there. All these yeah. sort of legends of the past kind of thing saying, you can do this. You know yeah. what you're doing. You went out there and you handled yourself and you made the right call. Is like the final stamps of approval really going, you can do this. I thought that whole situation was hilarious. It's like, oh, William's been kidnapped, and <laughs> we think the guy's in one of these six locations, and we conveniently have groups of the groups that will neatly divide into six. So <laughs> off we go, and then you see a couple of people tor- turn up in the wrong place, and then me as the one to find them. And uh, I thought that whole speech was a little bit awkward because the guy's like, "Your father put me in prison." He doesn't know that me as his daughter, but. Mm. Oliver Queen put me in prison and prison was horrible it made me worse than I was when I went in and then she's like oh well you're going back (laughs) yeah so I'm not going to kill you I'm going to take you back to the place you hate Uh, yeah (laughs) and it it was was bad for you apparently that is bad for you and and all went wrong yeah yeah Yeah. it's like as a final mission for Team Arrow it felt a bit underwhelming because nothing really happens I don't know if it was so that they could fit in some form of action beat or I don't know quite what it was there for. It was, yeah. I, was I, one, I get last, the, one last like, ride. One, one last ride, one last mission, doing the passing of the torch sort of thing yeah. with with the, the cast, I think was probably the reason it was there rather than anything else, because, you know, you got to see some action beats and a pretty good fight scene in one of the flashbacks. So it wasn't that you were being sort of deprived of any Arrow action. Yeah, season one, Oliver just kicking ass. That was, yeah, exactly. That was nice to see. Going through a brewery and beating people up, why not? Yeah, yeah. one of the many abandoned breweries in Star City, <laughs> or Starling City as it would have been at the time. That was, yeah, it was good. 
that that part was good. I just thought the action sequence, or well, I can't even call it an action mm. sequence. Just the, I guess the the villain plot in the present day was a bit underwhelming. It was very weak, but it was one of those things where if you had done anything more serious, it would have almost overshadowed anything else. You know, if it had been there is a bomb under the city, I'm going to blow it all up or something. Uh, yeah, the, the episode's not about that. It's yeah, just about exactly. Serious. It's about getting everyone in to pay their respects. That's what it is. And it's to let uh, Thea and Roy talk about getting engaged. Which, you know, <laughs> I liked. It's, it's nice to see those two kids happy. Yeah. And I'm always happy to see Thea as well. Hey, I ditched you mysteriously a while ago. Do you fancy getting married? <laughs> <laughs> Would you do me the um, honour? Oliver didn't manage to heal uh, Thea's face scar. She still has that. No, that's true. That's true. But yeah, um, I I did like the thing where she's standing there and he goes, "Uh, I just came over to apologise. They're all kidnapped and we're all running about panicking and my my brother just died. Now's not the time. I'm like, yep, (laughs) spot on. Not the time. Yeah, but at least this version of Moira likes me. That's something. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And he has a sick robot arm now as well. Just like his yeah. comic book counterpart. And you can do tattoos. Yeah, he can. Yeah, that was a bit weird. It's like, oh yeah, we need to have the tattoo because we had it in the future, apparently. The Mark of Four or whatever that was. Does it matter? I don't know. We just remembered that we all had tattoos. We quickly now need to show a scene of us getting these tattoos. Yeah. I mean, we still don't find out why Dinah is in the future without aging, with no record of her ever existing. Yeah, we don't, we don't know I, why that is. So that confused me because of the sequence of the episodes. And I don't know, were they ever planning to do one after the other or something? I don't know. but the, So the finale definitely happens, relatively speaking, from Mia's perspective, after that episode. After, yeah, of course, because she's got her memories, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because part of me got confused with that. I was like, oh, hang on, what's she doing there? Because the whole the whole thing in the episode before was, oh, I woke up here and I stayed kind of thing. After Oliver did his thing, I ended up here with no memory. I guess that's a mystery for their show rather than yeah. our show, you know. Same so is there two of, two of her out there then, maybe? Who knows? But, but then there would be a history of the other one, so, well, yeah. Well, she's still clearly exists in at that point like, mm. according to public records she clearly exists because she's being offered the job of commissioner police commissioner which is you know you need to have some kind yeah, of yeah, Im- yeah. impact on the, the world you know you need to exist yeah you're in records at that point aren't yeah. you so although who, how does she manage to like fake an identity open a nightclub that's, that's a question Again, to be answered by another show. <laughs> and obviously Laurel hasn't aged in Green Arrow and the Canaries either. So it looks like she gets flung forward in time. Unless she's just going to look that good for the next 20 years. Well, they've got this sort of time window stuff, haven't they? So yeah. they, can, they can jump about a little bit. The time travel bit, obviously, through Legends has sort of become... I don't know if time travel is going to become the new Earth skipping in, in these shows, you know. Well, Laurel was shown the kind of devastated Star City one year in the future by Sarah. Mm. And then, so presumably it is just this version or this 
you know, she's this age, she's in her 30s or whatever, and it just exists in the future now. I don't know. It's just odd. It's very odd. It's either that or they're going down a completely, it's an alternate route or something like that. I don't know. But it seems like after after doing all this work... pit in her apartment or something. (laughs) I have a massive clock and (laughs) a Lazarus pit. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's all we need. That's getting on to a possible other show that doesn't exist yet. Hopefully it will. Let the, the whole Arrowverse go on. Felicity came back for this episode. Yay! It's quite clear they didn't have a lot of time with her because she's not in it very much. She turns up for a number of key scenes and she's not really the focus in any of them. So it's one of those situations where, yeah, we probably agreed to bring her on side for a couple of days or, you know, a couple of weeks of filming or whatever, but uh, we don't have a lot of time with her. But I thought the time they had, they used well because she is sitting in the background because she can't cope with losing Oliver and I imagine missing Crisis as well. She doesn't get the chance to be part of that and see him in his final moments and things like that and she's become a bit of a shut-in for whatever reason. But they used her well. I liked when she saw Mia and she was like, oh, I don't know if I want to say Mm. hello because I don't want to miss seeing her turn into this. And then Mia forces that conversation later on. Yeah, I I did like her sort of hesitance to go over and say hello. I thought that was quite neatly done. Like you say, they didn't use her much, but I think what they did do, they did well. You didn't want to see her sort of jump in and be right in the centre of it for that episode. I think they did the right thing by focusing on Diggle, like we said earlier on. There's Um, nothing for Felicity to do, you know, because she's already moved on. She's already chosen what her life will be. She's already picked her end point. So she is just kind of there to, to make up the numbers and because we expect her to be there and because... Yeah, I mean, you'd yeah. expect her to be there, but also, I mean, I suppose that's another reason partly for the William plot, isn't it? It's, you know, it's a reason for everyone to be there. It's a reason for Felicity to go back down that bunker again and not just show up in the keyboard one last time yeah you know clack a couple of keys (laughs) one more time to activate the tracker yeah i think that's probably one of the reasons that they did that one last hurrah and i think what they did they did well it's it's a lot to do in only a few minutes of television yeah for sure i mean you have one episode you have to sum up eight years of work (laughs) seven and a half years of work whatever it is and you have a lot of history there to play with and a lot of history to play to with off is remarkable mm. you've got to give a lot of characters closure you've got to try and and give everyone their you know their all of our reminiscence moment you've got to give everyone their well what are you going to do next you know yeah. or at least hint at where they're going to go next yeah you know wrap like up if- any tail ends that are sitting out there you know yeah, and I think if this had just been an isolated show that, you know, it's only Arrow, that's the only show that exists, you could almost get away with, well, we're all finished now. You can decide by yourselves what they all get up to after this. But the fact is, there are other shows. Mm. And we're all wondering, are these characters going to turn up on other shows? I mean, yeah. we already know that two of them will, if assuming <laughs> it gets picked up for series. But where does Diggle go? Will he appear elsewhere? Him talking about moving to Metropolis suggests that he could be a supporting character in the Superman show that's coming out. 
It would be an interesting choice if they did that with him. That'd be pretty good if they did that. I know he's on Flash this week as of recording time. I don't know what he's doing there, but he's there for this episode. So (laughs) by the time this goes out, we'll know. (laughs) When Dinah said there were were other other cities with high crime rates, I was like, okay, well, she's going to turn up in Gotham. And that was, you know, yeah, right. we, we need we need a police chief to switch on the lamp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could happen. Well, she could turn up in Gotham, and I suppose they could do that to her if the future show doesn't get picked up. Yeah, I kind of thought over to Batwoman that might happen. I don't know. Put it's all these girl. interesting bits. It's like where you see the characters pushing off, or or we might just never see them again. You know, there might be hints to them, or they might turn up as a guest every once in a while as a token yeah a token gesture sort of thing you would have to imagine the offers went out though because it seems the cw look mm. after their cast and obviously the show's ending and you know the, the show ending was at least partially Stephen amell's decision because he mm. decided right it's time to wrap it up now and if you haven't you should listen to his recent interview on michael rosenbaum's podcast uh, it's his second appearance on it, and he talks about the end of Arrow and how he felt at the end. And apparently, he wanted to finish in season seven, but the network came back to him with an offer that he just couldn't turn down. That would have been irresponsible to turn down, because what they did was they offered him like thirty episodes or whatever it was, thirty-three episodes at an increased rate rather than the twenty-three episodes at a normal rate. So it was going to be much more money to stick around for half a year. So he did. But apparently when he got on set at season eight, as much as he enjoyed it, he said, I've been here a little too long, just a little bit too long. So it's a really insightful interview and I'd recommend you listen to it. He has a panic attack in the middle of the podcast as well. It's it's quite revealing. I think a lot of Mike Rosenbaum's podcasts are very revealing as to the people he talks to because he has some questions that maybe no one else could ask because he's lived that with them or adjacent to them. He knows that life and he kind of understands what to get at. And the fact that you get these insights out of people that you wouldn't get anywhere else is quite interesting because you could listen to him on, I don't know, talking to James Corden. I mean, I don't know why you would, but it would just be the same <laughs> fluff crap. You know, it's how season eight shaping up and it's like, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great for the fans. I've really enjoyed it. I felt like this is our best season ever, but on something like that, they get to open up and be raw and, that's what I really like. So link to that in the show notes for sure. Get it listened to because it can say more about Stephen Amell's experience of this final mm. season than I ever could. Because it's I mean, from him, I mean, funnily enough. As long as they put a link to our podcast in their show notes, obviously. Yeah, come on, Mike. Yeah. Throw us a bone. Mikey, <laughs> please. Maybe I'll appear in his and I'll like open up and be like, <laughs> do you want to hear about this like loser from Scotland and what he gets up to? Not really. <laughs> not really, we're fine. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not famous, but could you imagine? Maybe one day I'll ask. It was partially Stephen Amell's idea. It's partially his idea, so the rest of the cast don't have a choice. You know, it's, oh yeah, you, our show's ending, so uh, you're out. You're out of a mm. job, guys. You know, Obviously, Emily Bett Records, she chose to leave at the end of last season, so she would have got paid like just for this episode. So that was a choice she made, as far as we know. But everyone else, you have to believe that offers might have gone out for them to appear in other shows. Assuming there's room in their budget for these extra characters, you'd imagine. 
Yeah, it might not be as recurring as they were on Arrow. That's the thing. It's you know, you can you'll appear in a few episodes of this or that, or you know, depending on what they're going to do with the the Canaries show. Yeah. It all depends, doesn't it? it? It depends on what it is. And also, some of the, the actors as well might be looking at it and going, do you know what it is actually the right time you know, to move on and give something else a go? Yeah. Another CW show. Another another CW show, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, like you say, it's one of those ones where when a programme is ending, uh, people get, you know, poached and get offers and you know try and get swiped be it um the cast or some of the crew and stuff as well yeah. writers and everything is you know you know the vultures oh, yeah. start circling around the top of your show and start picking people off yeah well jared padalecki is going to be doing a remake of walker texas ranger on the cw when he finishes supernatural it's like geez man take some time off you've earned it 15 years geez <laughs> can have a few months off. You can have a year off. Go for it. Unless he has like gambling problems, and <laughs> really needs to keep working because he has he owes some dangerous people money. You know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's mindset as well. You want to yeah. keep you want to keep working because you don't know when the good times are going to stop or when the offers are going to stop coming in. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to jump into something right away after finishing a show, because I think even Stephen Amell's going on, it's a wrestling program? That's right, after yeah. This. yeah. I forget what it's called, but yeah, he's uh, but he's off until March. Again, this is on oh, there you go. Rosenbaum's podcast, where he talks about this. So he gets until March off to just kind of refocus himself and get back to relative mental stability, and then it's only eight episodes or something like that, so it's a short commitment. So he's doing that, and I guess his interest in wrestling meant that he couldn't turn it down. Yeah, it sounds like it's in his wheelhouse sort of thing, doesn't it? And it being a shorter run probably yeah. sold it as well. For sure, it's just a nice thing. Yeah. Of course, one possibility for Diggle, outside of the Superman <laughs> thing, is the tease we get at the end of the episode where he opens a box mm. with a distinctive green glow. <laughs> I mean, it's it's long been suggested that Diggle might be a Green Lantern and now it's been confirmed. Uh, well, you're saying that. <laughs> yeah, but there is a Green Lantern show that has Greg Berlanti producing it that's going to be on HBO Max or whatever they're calling mm. it. So maybe he'll be the Green Lantern that leads that. I mean, I think he's earned it. I, I definitely think he's earned it. I've like read a couple of articles where they've had quotes from sort of directors, writers, and him himself. So sort of going, well, we're not really able to say that much because what they were allowed to show on screen or allowed to say or hint at was heavily, heavily contractually <laughs> tied yeah. up in knots. So I think a box falling from the sky and having a distinctive green glow coming from it was about as close as they were allowed to get to the line. <laughs> Which I love. You could imagine the writing going, is he allowed to open the box? Yes. Is it allowed to be a green glow? Yes. Is he allowed to say, oh, what's that? A ring? No, no, he can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be great. I mean, it would be really, really good if they had that. I mean, I know people have been sort of screaming out for that for ages. Maybe the and Flash done... answer that question this week. It could be. It could be in the Flash that you get the answers. Because was it not... Mm, no, it was probably a crossover before, wasn't it? Where we got a, a, a Flash from one of the other Earths saying it was strange to see him without his, his ring. It was the 90s Flash, yeah, when he appeared in, during Elseworlds, he said... John, where's your ring? Yeah, that yeah. was that was one of the first sort of hint things, wasn't it? 
Yeah, and then you had his stepfather turn up who had the surname Stuart, which means that one of Diggle's surnames is Stuart. So he's John Diggle Stuart, but he goes by John Diggle because he hated his stepdad. Mm. Yeah, so the, the clues are there. He is the John Stuart of the comics, effectively, but they've just remixed him a bit. Which, yeah, I'm fine with. I think he's earned it. Although, scroll back to the beginning of Arrow, where it's the guy <laughs> in a bow and arrow taking down uh, rich criminals with his like bodyguard who served in Afghanistan. And now it's, he created a universe and this guy's a Green Lantern. <laughs> it's Yeah. When did it become acceptable that these things happened on this show? That that guy goes on to become a god and create his own universe. (laughs) And the other one flies into space. Yeah, Yeah. okay, okay. Sure, 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 sure. (laughs) They built it so gradually that it worked. You know, you start off by introducing the Flash. Or, well, you introduce Mm -hmm. Barry and then you see him get his powers in that one episode. And then later on they start crossing over. And then through the Flash, you can be introduced to other crazy stuff. And then through crossovers, Arrow becomes part of that crazier stuff. And so on until you build to the point where Oliver Queen lights the spark that creates a new universe. Yeah, and it's always had this sort of magic, mystical, weird element growing behind it as well in Arrow. After and a point, it's not really that. there yeah. in the first couple of seasons. No, not in the first couple of seasons, but they, they slowly built into that as well, an element. Yeah. It, so it's yeah, it's always it's always gone and pushed it a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. You know, and then through the like you say, through this sort of expanded universe, you've got time travel and alternate realities and meta humans and yeah. superheroes and yeah. I mean I've actually been rewatching Arrow with my new flatmate because she wants to kind of see all of the the Arrowverse from the beginning. I'm like, yeah, I'm quite happy to just pile through this again. Why not? It's good fun can make a playlist on Plex of all of it and then I just went <laughs> play. Apart from the ones I own on Blu-ray, since I bought them on Blu-ray, they're getting watched on Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> I insist. Yeah, better quality, if nothing else. There's a lot of disc switching, especially when The Flash and Legends come into play and later Supergirl. It's oh, like, so you're, you're doing it as a full uh, a full running order, are you? Yeah, so it's yeah. not just Arrow, you're going for the full thing. Yeah, I've got a running order that apparently has been seriously cultivated by fans all over. How long have you got your flat for to uh, <laughs> to run that? That's well, a lease. <laughs> it'll, it's never going to end. <laughs> just, it'll get to a point where it's like, I'm just adding things to this playlist now. I'm not getting anywhere. But anyway, <laughs> there's some things that you can actually infer as being mystical later on. Once you have that knowledge of the later on, the magic part comes into it. Mm. I'm thinking specifically of a scene or a few scenes early on. Uh, where Oliver talks to his his dad shortly after he appears on the island. The suggestion is that it's all in his mind, he's hallucinating, but we know that Leanne is a magical island now. So mm. it could be a manifestation of his dad who's literally there. Because we know that ghosts appear. You know, they spent an entire episode fighting ghosts. <laughs> True. So why not? It's very good that they've managed to build things in so organically that you can go back right to the beginning and be like, that makes sense now. That actually adds something to it. And it's, it can have this extra layer if you want it to. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes it's with, with things like that. It's a show that's been running for so long that things do get extra significance out of consequence rather than maybe design. 
but I do like it. It, it, it. Like you say, it does add extra meaning. Oh yeah, or there's some severe retconning going on. Oh yeah, I would, I would, you know, I would laugh someone out the room if they say, "Oh, this was the end point we had planned all along." I don't think it's been read anywhere, thankfully. Yeah, no, but, no yeah. one has ever pretended this is what, that, that was. This the is case. what we've been building up with <laughs> since season one, <laughs> you know, because you you just have to laugh them out. Um, but yeah, I I think they've done very well with managing to stay within the rules of the show. I know that Stephen Amell's been pretty key to that as well, of sort of keeping the canon. <laughs> yeah, and it's also important, especially when there's so many shows that inhabit the same universe, that each show is distinct in its way. Mm. And I think the others have accomplished that to varying degrees of success. But even in its worst moments, I feel like Arrow was always Arrow. Mm. It, it never wavered from its own identity. You know, it was always the story of a man trying to reclaim his humanity after being away for so long and uh, growing and developing along those lines and um, starting to realise the impact he can have on his own city and the people around him and everything that he fights for. And it kept that throughout. Uh, yeah, I agree with you, actually. I mean, it's always had its little wobbles, but it's never really deviated far off its course. I mean, other shows have kind of reinvented themselves in a way at points, but Arrow's always stayed pretty true to it. I mean, they did have a point where they were hacking nukes and all that <laughs> stuff, but or saving the internet. What was another? Thing? Oh God, don't! <laughs> don't oh, no! Stuff just no, spoiled no. your favorite. I've just no. spoiled your favorite episode. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Don't. <laughs> I think we should have a final bow for the Arrow. Arrow Techno technical, co- technical consultants. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you do this with a tablet? Yeah, sure. Sure, why not? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all running there. Archer's on the tablet. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not, it's not running at its full potential because it's only on a tablet right there. You have to put up a server instead. <laughs> yeah, silly. <laughs> Yeah, it could be silly. Why not? I mean, I think it was always silly to some degree because ultimately, as a guy with a bow and arrow fighting people with oh, yeah. machine guns, it I mean, doesn't seem like a very tactical decision to do that. I always like the scenes in particular where it'll be like, ah, but you're not going to get out of this because of all my friends. And then suddenly, 30 guys will appear. And instead of 30 guys pulling their guns and firing, the 30 guys will have a fist fight <laughs> and they'll take it maybe two or three at a time to have a go. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those conceits of the show that you've just got to go, okay, I suppose. And yeah. and you, you've got to let them away with it because overall you, you enjoy it. That's the thing. Yeah. Regardless you know, of how skilled he was, if Oliver Queen was real, he would have died very quickly. Yes. <laughs> it's one of them. I don't think we would have had it any other way as much as we like to take pops at these kind of things. And I do on a frequent basis. Yeah. on these podcasts it's one of those conceits but you know we like it anyway no you just accept it mm. the show is about a guy who wields a bow and arrow who is better than anyone else he's fighting to the point that he will survive even if they have machine guns in fact they always have machine guns there's never a point where they don't have machine guns and there's always several of them but those machine gun bullets never hit because Oliver Queen is just so good at dodging machine gun fire <laughs> by standing relatively still near a metal grate or something. Just, you know, so you get the, the metallic sound of the bullets pop, j- bouncing off it so you know that he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And they, they add bits later where he has like protection magic on his on his abs because John Constantine gives that to him and whatever else. Maybe that helps. But yeah, it's just I'm happy with it. I don't mind. Um, it's it's ridiculous because of course it is. But I'm not watching a show about a comic book character who wields a bow and arrow because I'm looking for realism. Mm. You know, there's enough realism in the real world. And I don't like it. So <laughs> Yeah, give me my silly show about a guy with a bow and arrow. Thanks. It's fine by me. So back to Diggle, I guess. Uh, his eulogy was devastating, I think. It was... Yeah, it was perfect. They couldn't have written a better speech for Diggle in that moment that summed up exactly what Oliver meant to him, meant to the city, meant to everyone in that scene, meant to us as viewers. It's, you couldn't have done it better. The writers really knocked it out of the park with that. No, I think so. I mean, you, you wouldn't want to be the writer that's given that task, would you? And and now write these two <laughs> eulogies <laughs> to Oliver Queen. Go. You'd be, yeah. The, whoever, whoever the poor person was that had to write that or the two or three people that had to get together and, and you know, rework it however many times it probably happened. Yeah. Even onto the day where the voiceover was probably being recorded. Yeah, well done. Yeah, it was a, a very good speech. And I loved it where it was like, does anyone want to say a few words? And Tommy's like, nah, I'll say something stupid. And Felicity's like, <laughs> nope, I can barely speak. And Barry's like, nah, I can't think of anything. And Cara's like, nah, neither. Because I didn't know him. I only met him. <laughs> yeah, I barely, I barely knew him. <laughs> I'm like, why am I even I mean. here? <laughs> yeah. In fact, I mean, yeah, I- where's Kate? She might as well be there. <laughs> Yeah, they like that. There was a bit of me thinking, shouldn't more of like the Flash characters or something be there because they were there more often kind of thing? I, I'd laugh term, if Black but... Lightning turned up. So I never met him, but I thought I should <laughs> and, be here. And him. <laughs> it's like, who's this guy? Sure, like, why never not? Mind. It's fine. <laughs> Who are you? Uh, do you know what? I would have loved to just put some random in that lineup. Just d- <laughs> don't even... You know, don't hesitate the camera over them or whatever. Just put some absolute random off the street in, in that lineup just so that all the fans go nuts going, who's this guy? <laughs> or just, yeah, what, you mean like uh, like the kid in Iron Man 3 that turns up in Endgame and no one knows yeah. who he is because he's aged. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's <laughs> aged. It's like, or, you know, not even someone like that. Just someone that absolutely has nothing to do with the show. Some random extra from the background. Don't mind. <laughs> put them in there. You know, camera technician that's been there for a while, don't care, put him in a, a shirt, put him in the lineup so that all the speculation is who's this mysterious character in the background? <laughs> anyway, that's how evil I would be if I was a showrunner. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it nah, makes yeah, for the Flash characters to be there, although, I mean, he doesn't know Caitlin that well. No, I, I, I get why from not only the point of view of budgets and getting these people available and, you know, they probably had to pull minor miracles to get, you know, Grant Gustin and that in there. So, yeah, I absolutely get it. But for the fact that it wasn't sort of a lineup of speeches and things, he's like, you got Diggle and, of course, he'd be the one that would actually step forward and yeah. and say something. Someone had to say something. And yeah. it being him, yeah. After Felicity... Said to him, "It should be you. <laughs> it should be. It should yeah. definitely be you." Yeah. <laughs> and what you don't see is the end of the scene where Jefferson turns up and he's like, oh, "I've got a few words." <laughs> like, Who's this guy? It's like, well, I never met Oliver Queen, <laughs> but I heard he was a good dude. So. <laughs> I heard he was a good dude, so I wanted to say this. <laughs> yeah, 
but no, it was yeah, it was devastating. It really was. It taught me how much of a impact the show had had on me actually, just because of how how destroyed I was by this episode. <laughs> and if that wasn't like enough, um, playing with the heartstrings, that final scene where Felicity goes to the afterlife uh-huh. or whatever it is that looks like the office at Queen Consolidated for budget reasons. That was that was a great ending as well. No, I, do you know what? I liked that because obviously we had seen the other part of that in the previous season where she had went through the doorway and it was a bit of a, oh, where's she gone? And it was nice seeing the other end of that. Yeah. You know, it's she finally gets scene, to see him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very, very quick, but very emotionally charged and you know it almost almost makes me wish we'll never see Oliver again because to bring him back in some form would kind of cheapen what what that scene represented I mean I've no doubt that he will turn up again at some point there might be some sort of thing I'm, I'm a bit like you I don't want to see him for yeah, I, I don't really particularly want to see him again on it. I really don't, because I'm a bit like you. I think it'll, it'll cheapen it. Unless they come up with some absolute cracking idea somewhere. But there should be some sort of gatekeeper there going, no, it could be anyone else. You don't need this character to be it, you know. Well, that gatekeeper will be Stephen Amell, sure. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I know. coming back. I know, I know. It's, <laughs> yeah. uh, unless he's given another offer he can't refuse, but... Yeah, but I, I doubt he would. I, I think he, he has that sort of thing of it. It doesn't need to be me. It doesn't need to be this. And I think that ending was was just a lovely way to do it. Um, I think the fact that it was on that set is may, maybe part of it's down to cheap reasons. But I did like the justification being because this is where I first saw you, sort of thing. You know, yeah. if, if I, I can manifest any location, I could have taken them to the cabin or to the bunker or you know if they were being really really cheap it would have been the bunker wouldn't it um so i thought it was a little a nice little twist it being the office you know the the gambit the little model of the gambit in the background stuff like that i thought it was a good a good little bit also is that the first time we've actually seen the outside of that building it's totally random i don't people zip line into it a few times we've seen people zip line into the windows and stuff, but I don't think we've ever seen the outside of it. Which I thought was a bit funny. That was one of my, my sort of bits of like, how would we even know that was the building? It seemed like a weird sort of zoom out kind of thing to do. But but yeah, no, I, I liked it. I, I really liked the the moment that she gets to see him again. And, you know, she's waited all that time as well. Because you've got to remember, this is the character sort of 20 years on. Yeah. Going in to see him, not the character that you've just seen you know, at the graveside. So that added the extra. Yeah. Let's just not think about does she belong to the 2040 that now exists or the 2040 that <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> okay, now you've broken it. Now yeah. you've broken it. Craig. Yeah. What have you done? Who knows? Who knows? What we'll version went through? Well, we don't know. Yeah, yeah. we don't know. <laughs> Doesn't matter because it's still Felicity and it's still Oliver and they're still. Spending eternity together, I guess. We don't really know what that means, but we don't need to know what that means because the implication is they're yeah they're living happily ever after for eternity, and that's it's very poetic and very fitting for them as uh, as characters. And mm. 
based on the relationship that they had over the course of the years. You know, the the ups, the downs, the further downs, more downs, then ups again. Because let's not forget all the times they broke up. And the will they, and they won't they, before the forming yeah. and the not forming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, let's remember it the way we want to remember let's it. Let's remember that's... fondly, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fine, yeah. So that's the final episode. I don't know how much else we can say about it, I think. Yeah, I think we've probably covered it, to be honest. I'm, I'm trying yeah. to think. Yeah, it's all good. Well done, guys. Well done for bringing us to a satisfying conclusion, because finales are hard. It's better in most cases if a show just gets cancelled and you never find out how it actually ends because then they don't have to come up with one. But when a planned ending happens and they they have to do Mm -hmm. something that is meaningful, that's hard because there's so much expectation riding on it. And, you know, I haven't seen too many detractors of this online or whatever. I think um, it seems to have landed the way they wanted it to. I think it's done very, very well. The way it went out, really in a crisis I think helped um, the way the stakes were, the way that they've done this I think was just like you say nice epilogue I've, I've been lucky enough to see sort of two really good sort of um, show finales recently yeah. between this and The Good Place as well which has had an excellent you know, yeah. final episode, really well crafted final episode Yeah, and uh, very similar with this They've just done a, a nice, satisfactory closure. Well, the thing about The Good Place as well is you could watch the penultimate episode and then assume that that's the last episode as well because the way that ends is really, mm. you know, closed. But then, yeah, you have the final episode that... Yeah, yeah, you've got sort of a final tail end to that, which which is similar in this, I suppose, in the same way where, you know, you've got... You, they, they could have had a completely alternate end point, which would have been Oliver's went out, the universe is, you know, is back. Yeah. Earth's been reformed, people are alive, Oliver's gone, the morning could have been that episode, that could have been it. Yeah. And Supernatural's going to be ending soon, so all eyes are on Supernatural to see if we can get the trifecta of good finales <laughs> for 2020. Pressure's on, boys. Pressure's on. Uh, we kind of talked a bit about the final season. I like the final season more than you did, I think. Thought the individual episodes were good enough. I liked when William and Mia and all the future people got brought back. Mm. I liked all these little bits they were doing. I liked they took the time to craft a goodbye for it. You know, the Oliver Queen aware of his own mortality and building towards it and making Crisis a part of that or the build up to Crisis a part of that. I think they did a better job with that than they did with than the Flash did because. Mm. Arrow was able to actually pay off the fact that his main character was supposed <laughs> to die, whereas the Flash wasn't. Yeah, I did like it. I mean, I, I did a bit of disservice maybe at the start. I'm not saying that I didn't like this season. I did actually like this season. I don't think it's a particularly Arrow season just because of the way it built up to Crisis. Well, it's structured That's, very differently. It is structured differently. But like you say, it did those visits to sort of different time periods in the show. There were some really good episodes. There was some really good work on Oliver, in particular things like the episode where he's trying to save Lance, uh, Quentin. Yeah, that was, that was uh, 
and going back again and again and again and again, sort of learning that you can't save everyone. That yeah. you know, the sort of lessons he's still learning at this point. You know, there's some really good work in the episodes like that. You get to see a lot of the other characters and finish off their little storyline bits through this season as well. And I think they probably did the right thing making it as a, as much as I'm I'm criticizing it. I'm going to praise it for the same thing I'm criticizing it for by making it a build up to crisis. It meant they weren't having to try and come up with a short-term villain that they can try and dismiss, you yeah. know, an episode before the season finale, you know, before crisis kicks in, before, you know, it's like, because otherwise it probably would have felt too rushed yeah. or it would have meant them bringing back a, a villain and having a, a really lame excuse for why they're back because, oh, time travel and cross earths and evacuating from other worlds and, oh, they, yeah, there were villains there. And I don't think it would have paid off as well as what they've done in this. So as much as I'm criticising for it at the same time, I've actually got to praise it and say, do you know what, you've probably done the best out of the situation that you have. It's also when you think about what this season was about, what he was being made to do during that season. You know, you have to go here and get this, or you have to go here and retrieve this guy, or you have to go here and build this, and now you have to go to Lee and you because we need to soak up some of the magical energy because <laughs> it'll all help with the crisis. And then you get to crisis and none of it makes any sense <laughs> whatsoever. So this elaborate scavenger hunt that Oliver spent the last several months doing amounts to nothing because they needed a reason for Arrow's final season to revisit his past in different ways, but they couldn't have come up with a way for any of the crap he collected to be actually worthwhile in some way. You know, why couldn't the guy he finds in Hong Kong have been Ryan Choi, for example? Mm. Because that would have tied in. It would have been, yeah, this guy's going to be important. We need this guy. He's a paragon. What's, what's a paragon? Watch Crisis and you'll find out. He'll have to stare at a farming universe really hard at some point. Things like that. But <laughs> we said that in one of the Crisis podcasts where, yeah, what was the monitor up to? He's just coming up yeah. with stuff out of nowhere. He, and, he didn't appear to have an actual plan for this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the illusion. It gives everyone else the illusion he has a plan, and then it's like, actually, yeah, that wasn't uh, that wasn't it. Yeah, and there were certain things I really liked that were introduced in Arrow about the Monitor as a person. How he likes, or how he was giving people these opportunities to get closure on things or learn things about themselves. So he orchestrated the time loop so that mm. Oliver could learn that you know it's not his fault that Quentin died or you know there's certain things that he can't change he gets to spend time with Mia as an adult because the monitor allowed him to and that's something that could have really been factored into crisis in a bigger way you know they could have really put in this whole I'm on your side guys aspect to the monitor because that's where it was heading an arrow and I don't know why they didn't run with that yeah, I mean, even in Crisis, they then turn it into, actually, we're going to fight him. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're not going to help him, we're going to make the situation worse. Yeah. I, I get it. I do get it. It, it was conflicted in, in some of the ways, but it did give us closure for the season was kind of the, the you know, the theme. Yeah, as you much forget as about the scavenger hunt because you yeah. remember what Oliver learned while he was doing yeah. that scavenger hunt. You, rem you remember what he learned or the characters that he crossed paths with while he was on the scavenger hunt. You know, you, yeah. you get an excuse to, to go off and see Anatoly again. Yeah. You know, you get an excuse to go and, and see Nyssa and do a ninja assassin fight again, you know. 
it's well, there all was that. No in the final yeah. season. It was just. Oh no! Sorry, only, yeah. um, her only appearance was in the last episode. Sorry, Italia, Italia. Yes, uh, Tatsu maybe. That's Tatsu maybe. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's who I'm thinking of them. But yeah, um, that was the Hong Kong one, and then you had like yes. the Russian one, then you had the Lian Yu one, and all that stuff. And I think the yeah, I think the focused on the right things in those because then you forget about why is he why is he after that scientist again? Why does he need that? <laughs> why does he need a sample of that virus again? Oh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But at the same time, it's just a glaring plot hole that's just left unresolved. It's just I don't know. Is the monitor just bored, killing time until crisis, and seeing what hoops he can make people jump through? <laughs> it's just you guys won't shut up if I don't give you a task to do. I tell you what, you make yourself busy over there and <laughs> keep yeah. out my road, and then I'll be back. Yeah, and I think as the final little bits of growth that Oliver need to be the person that he needed to be in order to deal with crisis mm. was a nice touch, even though it didn't play out the way the Monitor wanted it to play out, so there's no way he could have predicted that Oliver would be that kind of person that would reboot the universe, surely. And uh, I don't know what the Monitor's original idea was, I don't know what he was trying to achieve, but it doesn't really matter because on a characterization level it's about Oliver becoming the best version of himself. And that's what the show's been about since the beginning. It's about Oliver returning from an exile of five years um, and becoming a much better person over a course of time. He's in his darkest point when he gets back home and then once he starts letting people into his inner circle, once he starts to trust people, eventually he leads a team, eventually he loses that team, eventually he gets them back and eventually he becomes a, a symbol within the city, you know, a figure that people look up to and eventually it gets to the point where he understands who he is and what is, or what he thinks his purpose is on Earth, and he's complete by the end. He's very not mm. that he, you know, not that he's not flawed because he'll always be flawed because that's what he is. But he's aware of his flaws and he tries to push them aside and he tries to be better. And that's ultimately what anybody can hope for for themselves is you know I'm going to recognize the fact that I'll never be perfect, but I'm never going to give up either. And that's all over Queen to me. Mm. Well said. <laughs> so yeah, his development was great over the course of the series. Uh, I was always engaged by him. I think Stephen Amell was perfect for the role. Even though he's our second TV Green Arrow, he owned the role pretty quickly. It's, it's one of those ones where you can't picture someone else in that role. Oh, struggle now, yeah. If they had decided, oh, oh, Stephen, you're leaving. Oh, that's fine. We're going to recast and we're going to put blah, blah, blah in there. I just don't see how... Any of it would have worked. I, I really don't. Or it's inevitable that we'll get like Charlie Hunnam in the films or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's he's pretty well put a stamp on that, and I think the writers generally did a good job with that through line. Some stumbles along the way, but what show that runs for eight years doesn't have stumbling blocks along the way? You know, um, the fact that we're here talking about it and we've stuck with it and we still watch it and we have enjoyed it more than we've not enjoyed it says mm. a lot. I think. You know, the, the fact that it managed to crawl out of its less than stellar years and turn into something that was in a lot of ways better than when it began is amazing to me. But yeah, Oliver, good guy. Good guy would recommend. <laughs> would that have been your speech? Craig, it's you. <laughs> You've got to say something. <laughs> yeah. Oliver Queen. 
Good guy. We'd recommend. Good guy. Well done. <laughs> yep. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed <Yep>. it. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's just like, yeah, I guess. That's yeah, fair, cool. fair enough. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't say something we disagree with. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe maybe Tommy should give it a try. Yeah, uh, Tommy, you can't. Yeah, surely yeah, you, you can, can follow this. Tr- truly, truly, <laughs> now is your time. Come on, Tommy, tell us about how he was at your wedding to Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> how long before she died as Black Canary was that? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a weird gap to fill in. <laughs> Do you think Malcolm Merlin's alive in that timeline? He never died. No, he did die in the old one, didn't he? He, bl- he stood in a mine and blew up. Yeah, he was on the island with it. You know, but I always always follow Chrissy's golden rule of until I see the decapitated corpse, <laughs> it's, they've still got the chance of coming back. Oh, yeah. Malcolm's not licked yet. He'll be back. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to go, sure, maybe he was. Because I don't think they even had a flashback sort of thing of him, really, did they? No. Did he have a moment in here? I don't think he did. I don't think so. Because he's one of the few that they didn't do a... We didn't get a Damien Dark, did we? No, we but did. we don't really need villains. No, but no, well, I'm not, I'm not saying... Villain, I'm not he's saying, also not a villain. Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying bring all the villains back, but I'm more thinking about the sort of flashback moments and the people that they brought back in. Maybe they did. Did they do something back in the... If they'd appeared, they would have been during like that montage at the start, the My Name is Oliver Queen montage, but... Yeah, they might have been in that, or they might have been... I was thinking he might have popped up in the first episode this season, but I can't remember. Anyway. Oh, Malcolm did, yeah. He Malcolm did, yeah. Because yeah, Oliver yeah. thought that he was a dark archer and he wasn't. Yeah, funny. that's it. Yeah. Of course he was. Yeah. So, so we they did, get, did, they did get him in for the season, but they didn't bring him back. No. So presumably that still happened? That was still a thing? He'll turn up in the in 2014. He'll remarkably have still not aged somehow. <laughs> Because John Barrowman is apparently actually ageless. It's oh yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, he's only fifteen jealous. years old than the guy that plays Tommy. Fifteen <laughs> years older than the guy that plays Tommy. <laughs> Seriously, they're supposed to believe um, their father and son, but yeah, my dad is just ageless. <laughs> moisturizing regime. God, yeah. Maybe he is actually Captain Jack. <laughs> Could be. Maybe it's not special effects when they kill him on Doctor Who; they just kill him because he just comes back. <laughs> So what about the other main characters? Kind of touched on Felicity and stuff. I always liked Felicity. I kind of got sick of her for a little while because of how much focus the show was putting on her. And some of the way she was behaving as well. You know, the the breakups were annoying me. The way they kind of broke up for a long time. And it's like, oh, this is so angsty and tedious. Get it off. Diggle, nothing left to say about Diggle, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Fel- Felicity, I'm kind of the same. She had her moments of making really weird, wacky decision choices just because plot needs her to make a weird, wacky decision at this point to throw everything off kilter. Yep. Um, it was one of those. She wasn't always consistent, but I liked the character overall. They had her as a bit of a foil for the rest that was going on in these episodes. So, yeah, yeah I, f- I think that that worked really, really well. And she can slot into Flash and feel like she belongs there as well. Mm. Yeah, she was good. I don't know if we have a terrible lot more to say about her, really. Especially with her not being a fixture this season. Yeah, that's the thing. You, you know, you start thinking about characters from this season and not yeah. the, the sort of scattering that you've had from everywhere else. 
Yeah. I, I said it before, but I really like Thea. And again, I'm in the process of sort of rewatching the early doors mm. stuff. And she's quite a brat early on. And she's quite irritating early on. And she's the kid's sister. She's just annoying. She takes drugs and she drinks a lot and she's really spoiled and entitled and she's everything you hate about teenage girls. But as the show goes on, she grows up so much and she becomes a source of wisdom eventually. You know, she'll enter a scene, she'll say something and you'll be like, my God, she absolutely nailed what needed to be said in that scene. And that was who she was to a point. And then she left the show and I don't think it ever truly recovered from her absence. I don't think... Yeah, because you need yeah. you need someone like you say with that voice. Uh, when at the beginning she's irresponsible, she's reckless, she's not really paying attention to what she's doing. She's a constant need of rescue or digging out of trouble and that sort of thing. And it, a character that goes through so much development. I don't know if it's one of these things where if the character had stayed on, they wouldn't have known what to do with her or giving a satisfactory through line for her. Maybe I would have liked for her to have dropped in more. I think her just falling off the face of the earth for several seasons wasn't quite the right way to do it. So it would have been nice to see her often. Stuff yeah. on why she mm. her role changed uh, after a point. I don't know how true it is, but there was I remember reading something somewhere that she was injured filming an action sequence, so that diminished her ability to participate in them after that. So that's why they had her turn away from like the vigilante life and be like. Uh, that's not for me anymore. I want to be normal and and things like that. And then eventually she left to go in her Lazarus pit hunt with Nissa and take all them down. Uh, that was just an excuse to get her off the show. And I thought the way they handled her exit was okay. I mean, I still didn't like the fact she wasn't around. But she grew so much over the course of the show. And it felt organic as well. You know, the, the fact is, I may not have liked the fact she was the bratty kid sister early on, but... That role is challenging and necessary because otherwise it's just a bunch of homogenized pretty people having really no problems. Mm. So she is a problem early on. She is this damaged person who makes a lot of mistakes and has a lot to learn and has a lot of growing up to do. I mean, imagine she'd arrive fully formed as this perfect daughter, perfect sister, perfect teenager, perfectly intelligent, you know, who always makes the right choices. That would have been worse. Mm. That would have been way worse. So sometimes you have to have characters that you don't like. I think that's the thing. It's it's always a bit of development in there. Characters that are unlikable or suddenly you start seeing their point of view or you get a bit more insight into why they think the way they do or why yeah. they act the way they do. And that can be just as satisfying. Yeah. And I always liked Roy... Although I can't really tell you why. <laughs> he's he's quite strange because he's hard to define. He's almost like a loyal golden retriever. He's very loyal. Again, it's another character that had quite a sort of iffy introduction, but they did really, really well with. Yeah. You know, the sort of streetwise, you know, r- just wanting to go out and, and work like Arrow. Go out and do it. Oh, I'm going to do it right away. and and. But with more parkour. Yeah, <laughs> more parkour, exactly. He's always leaping off stuff. So, yeah, I, I kind of like that, giving Oliver a bit of an apprentice or someone else to look out for at that point, because Diggle could handle himself to a point. Yeah. So it was giving him someone to train up 
and show a different side of Oliver, and I like that. Yeah, the character himself, like again, is another character that's just gone tons of development. I don't think it was particularly well treated with some of the plots towards the end, a bit weird no. stuff that they did with him there. I see what their intentions were, but I don't think they could ever fully follow through with it. And so they've got to sort of do a hasty retreat with what they did. But yeah, I liked the character definitely. Yeah, and we had the laurels. <laughs> laurels, two of them. Laurel one, I quite liked her. I mean, early on, she's this kind of workaholic and that typical workaholic. You know, just recently rewatched the season one finale, and it's the bit where an earthquake machine's about to go off in the glades, and she goes to work. It's like she's sorting through papers, and the place is about to just literally come down around her ears. It's like, what are you doing, women? And <laughs> that was basically what she was characterized by in the first season. And if you look at the first season, she's the co-lead. You know, you, you've got Oliver and then she's kind of second because I guess she was placed as the love interest early on and you even had the love triangle with Tommy early on. And you know how much I hate love triangles because I talk about it enough. But it was reasonably well handled because there was no point where Oliver was trying to get in the way. Uh, so he would just have kind of accepted it. It wasn't until Tommy started getting really jealous that it started getting a bit more tedious. But she was the hmm. love interest, certainly in season one. And then they moved away from that completely in season two. And in season three, it was about her building towards being the Black Canary and so on. Until in season four, they kill her, which wasn't entirely necessary. I don't think it had the impact that it really needed to. And it's almost like the writers realized their mistake and they were like, hang on a minute, we have the Earth 2 version and she has powers. Yeah. <laughs> So they brought her on as a villain, and that was inconsistently handled as well. Uh, well, see, this is where it went for me, was the, oh, she's a villain, oh, she's not a villain, oh, but she's double-crossed them, but she hasn't, but she has. And I was like, oh, that started to wind me up something wrong. She rotten. can be redeemed. No, she can. She can. She can. She can. She can. <laughs> and eventually, oh no, she can. As long as you forget about all the people she killed. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, all is forgiven. Just just forget about it. No, it's forgiven. No, we're not raising this again. It is forgiven. Seriously, we've forgiven her. Still murdered we, less people than Oliver. You know, we, we forgive her, so should you. Yeah, yeah, here's a tally of who's killed how many people. <laughs> yeah, that started to really wind me up a bit. I've always kept the tag of evil Laurel. <laughs> I've never dropped it. Oh, no, I eventually dropped it this season. I had, I've always had no in, in my head it's it's yeah. evil Laurel and because I I just still constantly expect suddenly at the last minute for her to turn around and go <laughs> to like betray them and run off. I thought they played with that nicely this season. Yeah, they did. Like, actually. Do you want your Earth back? Well, all you have to do is betray Oliver Queen, and then you think she might do it, and then she doesn't. Yeah, because that shows her growth, and I also like that she never lost her attitude even when she is better. You know, for example, in the spin-off episode, the backdoor pilot episode where she talks to Mia and she's like yeah, I'm just going to tell you that life sucks and it's re like redemption's hard and being a hero is no fun whatsoever and all that, you know, that kind of her experience of personal growth and she's like, yeah, but I'm still doing it for some reason, I don't know why. She never lost that, which was good, you know, and I like that she always didn't like Oliver, especially Mia turned up and Mia was resisting him and, and she's like, yeah, he's a jerk, I don't like him either. <laughs> <laughs> And that's good. You need that. You know, you need someone like stirring the pot a bit. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just a bunch of people that love each other just working together. And that's 
it's a bit dull. Yeah, you need a bit of conflict. You need differing points of view as well. And she definitely provided that different point, that way things could be done that maybe other people wouldn't think of. Or some of the fun is in the snide sort of comments, uh, the back and forth that you get between the characters. Yeah, I think she definitely provided that. Yeah. And Quentin. I mean, what can we say about Quentin? Yeah, legend. Yeah. Although he's not a legend, unfortunately. No, he should no. be. He should be hired. That's where he can go next. <laughs> Put him on legends. What do you do once you're done being mayor? Yeah, go on legends. <laughs> you know, follow your daughter about in space and time. Why not? I would, I would just love him just talking to Gideon, not believing that Gideon exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Quentin grew a lot from the vigilante hating to, you know, Oliver's de facto father figure, I guess. Mm. Well, they they had that moment when he died before he was brought back, but he died where <laughs> Quentin told him that he was going to be a great father and he said, I had a great example. Yeah, mm. There's another moment designed to, you know, where you've got something in your eye. Uh, so, yeah, I really like Quentin a lot. Throughout the run of the show, I always thought he was great. Yeah, like I say, definitely one of my favourites in there. I think they handled the character really, really well. Can't say yeah. more than that, really. Dinah was good. She was consistent. They had that weird point where they had two team arrows kicking about because they didn't like each mm. other. Uh, but Dino was always consistent. So was uh, Renee. He was pretty good. Oh yeah, Oliver didn't bra- bring back Renee's wife either. Oh, another one on the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's still dead as far as we know. She isn't, you know. Well, you using, the, using, using the Moira argument, it would be that person would be too much of an influence on Rene to then have yeah. changed who he was. Well, no. yeah. <laughs> I don't quite get the argument, but yeah. Rene had a bit of attitude at some point. I quite liked it. He kept trying to flirt with Thea and she wasn't interested. <laughs> I liked again, it was, it, was another, mask. it was another character that, that couldn't be sort of tied in that often. That He'd see a bad situation and he'd want to go and fix it. Yeah. You know, he'd want to get involved right away. There wasn't a patience thing there at all. And yeah, it acts as a good foil against the, we want the team to be prepared. We don't want people going in, running about. And he's like, nope, we're going in. We're going now. Yeah. yeah. And I think him and Dino had a great friendship as well. Mm. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel that Dino goes through an awful lot. She doesn't, I mean, she's, she's just kind of there and consistent and always good. She had the bit with Vince and whether she should trust him or not, or not, and that was kind of her big thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. She did have a bit of that, but that was her biggest solo thing, I guess. But she was always a meaningful part of the team, and you know, she's very strong-willed and blends in really well. And she was nicely damaged when she showed up as well, and you know, she needed the the team dynamic to to help her grow. And then she got to the point where she became police captain, which is Amazing. And always enjoy her dynamic with Laurel too as well. How they just really don't like each other that much. But yet work really well together and recognise that they work really well together. That's a, each play, play to their strengths and when combined do really, yeah. really well despite the fact there's that bit of conflict there. Yeah. We had Curtis as a main character for a bit. Boy Felicity as some people would call him. <laughs> He was good. I liked Curtis. He's the only Arrow cast member I've ever interviewed. I, I was going to say, of course, we love him and put him at the top of the list because he's actually come on the podcast. So, you yeah. know, a de facto favourite character. 
pretend uh, <laughs> where you couldn't tell me anything because they hadn't even started filming season six yet and couldn't tell me even if he was alive or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. I like that. Turns out I could have had more time with them than I thought because the PR people just told me I had 15 minutes, so that was all I prepared. And then I was just, I asked him if he had anything to rush off for, and he was like, no, I've got time. And I was like, ah, oh, no. You Why could can't have I had, waffle as well as other people? You could have had you know, two hours worth of questions sitting there prepared. Well, I mean, I but, imagine I could have probably got like half an hour or something. Yeah, I think I think with that character, like you say, it kind of started as a, we need another sort of felicity, so here he is. And then they built it up from there. But he's also then, an Olympic athlete and <laughs> yes. yeah, and has to have the longest suiting up routine of anyone because he has to get his hair done. He's got to get his hair done and he's got to do his face paints. Um, yeah. yeah. But it's a sticky tea, isn't it? That's, yeah, it's quite a ridiculous costume. <laughs> Is a bit, is I don't a bit. love all of the costumes they did on this show. It has to be said, some of them are quite lazy. No, they, 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 some of the some of the outfits you're like, and then Cisco comes in and redesigns this, right? <laughs> and it's like, no, we keep no, it. Yeah, it's like, no, yeah. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> was it Mister Terrific or something like Mr. that? Mister Terrific, yeah, Mister Terrific. Yeah. What a name with his tears. Yes, <laughs> and he was another one that had a good dynamic, Renee. They bounced it yeah. off each other brilliantly. But that sort of team did. I mean, like you say, they sort of split up for a while and did their own thing. And yeah. you can see why, because they did have such a sort of good dynamic. Yeah. It was good. It was such a good cast, like, throughout. There's nobody I actively dislike at all. There's some people that I kind of fell out of favour with for a bit, but I always liked everybody. Just to varying degrees. Mm. And you had Sarah in the cast for a while. I mean, we talk about how great she is in Legends most of the time, but this is where she got her start. Oh, I mean, it's a completely different character. Well, not a completely different character. There's elements of the character there in Legends, but it's changed so much. Yeah. It really, really has. Yeah, and we'll talk about her more when we do like Legends oh, yeah. podcast. But so. she got her start here in Season 2. I mean, this segues into sort of favourite season. Season 2 is my favourite season. I think that was their best work that they did. Deathstroke slash Slade, what a villain. Oh, yeah. Never, never been beaten. I mean, Prometheus came pretty close. And Damien Dark would have been better if he was the Legends Damien Dark rather than the Arrow Damien Dark. I think if he had been the Legends Damien Dark in Arrow, he just wouldn't have fitted. But I don't necessarily think he fitted in Arrow the way he was either. No. I think it's one of those things, he just wasn't quite the fit for that, yeah, that show. Was the, that was the nukes season. That was, yeah. Yeah, it, it wasn't <laughs> the And plan. the big biodome habitat underneath Star City. Yeah, Remember exactly. <laughs> it was It was a weird plot. It was a very, very weird plot. And it, it didn't quite, you know, the magic element and everything tying into it. Yeah, it just didn't quite work for me, that one. I'm a bit like you with favourite seasons, actually. I've, I've written down my short little list. I was like, season one, because obviously it's the first season. You know, it got you started. If you didn't uh-huh. like it, then you wouldn't think. So I've got one, two, and then I've written down five for uh, Prometheus and yep. Chase. And then I wrote down the beginning of, I think it was the beginning of season six, uh, seven with all the prison stuff, yeah. which I quite liked. I, I know it kind of goes a bit different after that, but I liked what they did with the prison stuff at the beginning of that season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think that was probably my favourite stuff, and I've written down Slade as my favourite villain as well. Yeah, <laughs> I love season one, but I think season two was where they really hit their stride. Mm. 
and they did stuff really good. And that's where you started to see the ambition that has become routine on these shows now. So let's introduce Barry Allen for two episodes. But let's not have him have any powers. So he's just Barry Allen. And then we'll show him get struck by lightning at the end as a tease for his own show that we don't know that is going to happen yet. It was all just a pitch for mm. making that show happen. And then the network were so impressed by Grant Gustin's performance and the writing in that episode that they immediately greenlit The Flash as a TV show to get made, which meant that they didn't have to waste an episode of later in the season of Arrow to turn it into a backdoor pilot for The Flash. Mm. So all you had was Cisco and Caitlin randomly turn up for one episode in the midst of all the Deathstroke stuff. And I remember that episode and I was watching it and I, was, I really didn't like Cisco and Caitlin in that episode. And I was like, oh, here we bloody go. <laughs> put up with these idiots on The Flash. But I really liked them on The Flash. So it was just, I don't know if it was just they just hadn't got into a groove of how to write those characters yet. Because they had just they had only just started on them, but... There was something off about them in that episode. episode. And I don't know, I suppose if it's in Arrow, was it Arrow writers writing Flash characters and that throws it off a bit? You know, I know sometimes they get people to consult and work as well, but maybe they hadn't quite got that. Well, what I actually think happened was, because season three was arguably the, if you look at Arrow on a bell curve, that's, mm. you know, that's where it starts going down the bell curve. But I think what happened was they moved all the best people onto Flash for its first season. So Arrow got the, you know, the, the people that weren't quite so good, and that's why the, the third season starts to take a dip a bit. Uh, and then I guess they almost went back to Arrow later on for what you know when the Flash became borderline unwatchable. But yeah, season two is where it all started, where all this this growth and ambition and the expansion of the universe started, because he introduced Barry. They had the Mercuru, which you know, it's superpowers. It's Easy to understand superpowers because it's just enhanced strength and near invulnerability, but it's a start and it still feels grounded enough for Arrow. And you start to get teases of Rachel Ghoul in season mm-hmm. two as well because Malcolm returns and he's like, Hi guys, I've been to like Nanda Parbat and I've been speaking to Rachel Ghoul and look, I'm not dead, so <laughs> something must be going on there. <laughs> Also, um, I'm not yeah. dead, FYI. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever get a chance to watch the special they aired on CW after Arrow, David Ramsey's interviewed and he says that when he thinks back, season two was the best year hmm. as far as he's concerned. Yeah, I agree. I'm really looking forward to rewatching it pretty soon. I think um, I'm going to really enjoy it this time. And then, yeah, five gets back to what was great about it early on as well. You know, it's... It goes back to that early grit, that early, I don't know, something feels a bit smaller, although it still pulls in elements from the world at large. So you have things like, well, Ragman's in that season. He's a meta-human. Well, no, it's Magical Rags, isn't it? Uh, I think so, yeah, Magical yeah. Rags. Magically irradiated rags, stuff like that. And, of course, Dinah is introduced in that season. She's a metahuman as well. And he'll fight the odd metahuman. But, broadly speaking, it's still that crime show. You know, it's still that comic booky, larger-than-life crime show in season five. And, yeah, it gets back to the fundamentals. I guess they needed those two seasons to realise, no, 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 this isn't what people want. Because, at that point, you'd had four seasons of a city under siege in May. Uh, so much so that Quentin made fun of it 
And it's like, no, no, no. Pointing out the stupid stuff you do doesn't excuse the stupid <laughs> stuff you do. Yeah, <laughs> we are allowed to take the mickey. That's our job. <laughs> it's like, no, no. Just because you've referenced it doesn't mean that we're not aware of the fact that, no, no, you are still doing the city under siege in May. And of course, the crossovers were always good fun. And I think Arrow always played massively into those. And I think they'll suffer without Oliver Queen in the crossovers. Because he's such a pillar of them. Mm. Him and Barry, they were always pillars of the crossovers. So who's Yeah, it'll who's be interesting to see who sort of takes it up. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Jinx. Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, it might be Barry that sort of picks it up as the next longest standing show, I don't know. Might be more of a collab effort. I mean, to be fair, Barry is the one that's paying for their office suite, so, you yeah. know. <laughs> well, it was a, I think it was Mark Guggenheim on the Crisis Aftermath said that they're trying to manoeuvre Cara and Kate to be the next Oliver and Barry in terms of their friendship. That makes sense. That doesn't necessarily mean that they'll take on the leadership roles, though. And They might not take up the, the leadership roles, but it makes sense to have the two of them sort of paired up in a similar way. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, we're pretty... Agreeable on the favourite seasons. So, I guess my ranking would be 2, <laughs> 1, 5, 7, then 6, then 3, then 4. Ooh, and I well, don't know I've, where I've, 8 follows. Where, where 8 fits in, yeah. I've, I've not made a ranking list. All I've done is <laughs> written down the ones that I quite liked. <laughs> Let's put 8 just below 1. I would say they're about the same. Okay, yeah. That yeah. makes sense. That makes sense. It benefits off the others, that's the thing. That's yeah. that's Season 8 gets its extra points from the fact that it's able to go back to these other seasons and pull out best bits and characters that you've liked yeah. and all these different sides that you've not had. Yeah. So is there any standout episodes you can think of as being among your favourites? No, I've already said that I like Season 2, but I think the Season 2 finale, I'm trying to remember now, I think it was the season two finale that I really, really, really liked. And season also, two finale is great, yeah. Season two finale is great. I've mentioned season five as well, and what yep. they did with Chase and the build-up and the way they ended that. I think was that the one where the island explodes at the end. Yep. Season uh, five, yeah. My favorite so, episode in season five is the one where Chase tortures Oliver. It's just so brutal and mm. so raw and so honest. It's just so well done. Sort of breaks them apart bit by yeah. bit. It was a very good, yeah. Now that and the is fact a good that episode. It, and the fact that he doesn't put on the Green Arrow costume for a couple of episodes afterwards, you know, he's, he's visibly shaken by that experience. It's impactful. It's meaningful. It's not something he gets over next week. It's a really good one. My favorite episode in season two is the second Barry one, the one where Oliver's haunted by the three ghosts. So he's haunted by the ghost of Shadow. Remember Shadow? God. Remember Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> and her twin sister. Yeah, season three was weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the ghost of Shadow, the ghost of Slade, although he was not really a ghost, but Oliver didn't know that at the time. And the ghost of Tommy, who helps him find the strength to beat Solomon Grundy in, at the end. So that was a good one. It's not a great episode, but the trial in season six was just so ridiculous. Where you have someone crashing in through the ceiling and then they just take the stand five minutes later. (laughs) (laughs) 
I object as they crash through the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> that is indeed a surprise witness. Uh, let's take a brief recess, mop up all the glass. Yeah, let's we'll take these glass shards out of the jury. Yeah. <laughs> There's a YouTube channel that I found. It's like a real lawyer that talks over TV court cases or film court cases. That's a great and, idea. And explains like how accurate it is. And I really want him to tackle that Arrow episode. Because I just really want to know what you'll say about it. I'll put a link to the channel in the, the show notes because it's so good. He does the, the TNG episode measure of a man, liar, liar, all these things. It's really good. Oh, and Daredevil. He does a Daredevil one as well. And he just oh, gives a he just gives a ranking on how accurate they are and whether it would fly in the real world and all that kind of stuff. So I would like that and also uh, the channel where they do all the different injuries that people would have running through an episode. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I'm, Oliver I'm, never gets hit, so it's fine. No, but there's also the dropping from great heights through glass, landing on the floor, doing a superhero <laughs> landing. You know, There's all that sort of stuff that goes on. Well, if Oliver Queen was a real guy, he'd have no knees. Oh, yeah, the knees are gone. He's got robot legs. Yeah. Uh, that's it. I'm just trying to think of some of my favourite episodes. Season three, I really liked the one where he fought Rachel al Ghul on the top of the mountain. That, that was, was cool. Really that one. was a very good fight. Yeah. It was a good shot as well, the way they did it. Yep. Yeah. The season one finale was superb as well. And I like that at the end of that episode, they lose. You know, the glades are levelled. Mm. He may defeat Malcolm, but ultimately he still loses. Do you know what? It was kind of good that way because it actually set stakes. Yeah. It sort of proved the fact that, oh, actually, every once in a while, they're not going to 100% win. Yeah. There are going to be losses in this. It's not, oh, by the end of the season, they're always going to defeat the bad guy and it's all mm-hmm. going to be great and everything's going to work out swell. Yeah. We didn't really good win at the end of season that. five either because the island blows up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, everybody survives somehow, but it still blows up. Season yeah, I think. Four, I think- people can listen back to the podcast at the beginning of the other season, <laughs> season yeah. six, where I go, oh, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and have my, have my moment on that particular one. <laughs> season four, I quite like the one where Vixen showed up. That episode stands out in my mind for some reason. Vixen being the animated thing that you may not have seen as part of the universe as well. It's the one where they have to steal Damien Dark's totem and they manage at the end of the episode. And I remember that. Yeah, I remember them trying to get the totem. Yeah, yeah. Some good episodes. Season 7, some of the prison stuff was superb. Oh, no, that, well, I mentioned that earlier on, yeah. Specific episodes, I I wouldn't be able to list out of that one, but I I really liked what they did with that. Yeah, the the prison arc kind of bleeds into one in my brain. It's because I've only really seen it through once, and Hmm. yeah. No, I, I just thought it was good because I, I had this thing thinking, oh, well, it'll be in for a episode and by the end of the episode there'll be a technicality or an emergency or some pardon or something will be given yeah. to him and he'll be out the door and that'll be it. And um, it just kept going and going and going. Yeah, it kept rolling on and I thought that was brilliant. I thought they they just did really well. They actually committed to it for a good number of episodes. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the token one or two that I suspected and yeah. I suppose the last one would be my favourite where they do that single take fight scene where he's working with mm. Lawrence Tiger running through the prison just fighting people. That's true actually. That is, uh, you know, for a fight scene that was yeah. incredible. I mean, I've always been impressed by the fight choreography on it, especially once they expanded the team and 
you know, you had so many moving mm. parts to it. It's you know, you've got people over here, people over here, and they're all fighting, and they're all part of the same, you know, thing. And they you, they have to figure out how teamwork happens and things. Mm. And they did a good job with it. Generally speaking, I mean, there's some of it that's that's not as great as other bits, but I think they they did a good job. And the fact that Stephen Amell did a lot of it himself as well. Oh, it's a credit to the guy for doing that. I don't know if you've ever seen the Ninja Warrior thing that he did. Oh, yes. It's (laughs) It's crazy. The guy is scary fit. He's superhuman. He must be. Yeah, incredible in what he does. And yeah, the fight choreography through it all has been amazing. Some of the stuff that they've done in a network TV show to manage to do what they've done. Yeah. Well done to all the stunt people, the coordinators, the people that choreograph these things because the amount of work that must go into it yeah every once in a while it doesn't quite make sense where people end up during a fight or the you know yeah. the camera shifts angle and suddenly there's somebody but very very few times do they slip up like that on the show Some... i'm sure someone's all done a cut on youtube or something where they put it all together and go oh look how wrong it is but you can't yeah. really tell that much you really really can't and i think they do a great job with it and some of that has to do with the directors they hire as well. Lexi Alexander, who directed some pretty good action films, such as The Punisher Warzone, which is insane. Mm. It's not a great film, but the action in it is insane and pretty brutal and, and fun. And so the episode she did had some really notable action sequences. Joss Whedon's brother-in-law, I can't pronounce his name, Kevin something. I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. But he works on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. And he did some of the choreography or some of the bigger fight episodes. They were always good. James Bamford, who came on later on, his sequences were always great. And I think he directed the finale as well. So that, you know, tells you everything. That that big action sequence they did there, and the flashback one, that was his work. I mean, not just his work. You know, it takes like hundreds of people to make these things happen. But, you know, the director obviously makes the camera catch it i guess you know is responsible for the camera catching it so great work great work from a very talented group of people hmm. any other episodes you want to mention before we no, get into think, wrap up territory yeah no I've, I've, I've probably mentioned a good number yeah yeah we should do a, sure. another arrow podcast after a big rewatch and <laughs> where it's all fresh in our minds and do you know what it's one it's one of those ones that i'm sure we'll close this podcast down and i'll be chatting to you afterwards after we've stopped recording and i'll go oh that episode where <laughs> yeah. it's one of them you know just the penny sure, the penny will sure, drop yeah and i'm sure if andrew was here like he was supposed to be he'd be reminded of things that we've forgotten about long ago because that's the kind of guy Andrew is. I thought Andrew was one of the things that we had erased from this new timeline that's being announced by Jackie Bird. I think he'd want us to erase the significant pain that he endures yes. on a daily basis. So if I ever create a universe, I will make that part of my new universe, that Andrew no longer is in pain. But he's not here, so he has failed this podcast. <laughs> I had to Fair say well. it. I had get, to say it. He has failed the podcast yet. Get well soon, Andrew, if you're listening to this. But I'm yes. sure we're making you feel so much better by listening to us. But you have failed this podcast. Just <laughs> keep that thought in your mind. <laughs> I'm not going to put an arrow in him, although I don't know if he'd notice. Are we getting a sound effect arrow through Andrew? I mean, that, yeah. that seems like, uh, you know, Andrew, you're in pain. Here, this will take your mind <laughs> off of it. <laughs> Thwomp. Yep. <laughs> An arrow goes in. Yeah. 
So just as a bit of a final thing, what can you say about the impact Arrow has had on you as a TV show that you've watched for seven and a half years? Did you watch it when it first started or did you get into it a bit later? I got into it a bit later. I think I picked it up in season two. I don't think I'd watched season one. So I did a bit of a binge of, of season one and then started picking it up. And... Yeah, I've I've really liked the show. It's sort of come at a golden age of television for us, of things that are in our particular wheelhouse where there used to be none. And Arrow is one of the shows that's been on sort of the forefront of that. Yeah, there wasn't a lot like it in 2012, no. actually. Yeah. No, there wasn't. And it sort of sprung up and, and had such an influence on that. I think it's proved that TV like this could be made. It could be made well on the kind of budget that it's got. It's had a bit of an impact. I don't know quite what to say about it personally, but I I think it's been a fantastic show. It's been run really, really well. It's influenced all these other shows coming up, I would say, without a doubt. Not just the ones from the Arrowverse that have sprung up, but the multiple others on other platforms that are everywhere at the moment everywhere i definitely think this has been a template for some of it and there's no doubt been a training ground for a lot of the people that are working on those shows now as well i think if you look back on arrow episodes and people working in the background you'll see them now working on all these other things and the opportunities that i've given people so yeah i think it's it's been a great show it's had a really good run and i'm glad that it got a sort of satisfactory conclusion in a way yeah well said i watched it Pretty much from day one, from when it first appeared, I heard that there was a comic book-influenced TV show set in the DC universe, appearing on television, and I was instantly interested. Smallville had been off the air for a bit, so I was kind of starved for comic book content. Because at this point, you know, you're only getting like one Marvel film a year, and you know, had we just had the Avengers, or the Avengers wasn't out yet kind of thing. Uh, So yeah, there was... There wasn't a lot of genre television that I was watching back at that point. I watched it and I was hooked. Well, I wasn't hooked from the first episode, but I was interested enough to keep going. And as the season went on, I got more and more invested. Started leaning into Oliver Queen as a character. I started liking the other characters. I started liking the setup. I started caring about the arc that they were setting up. And it just reeled me in ever so slightly over time. And until by the end of the first season, I was like, give me season two right now. Why do I have to wait until September or October, whenever the hell it's coming on, you know? And I've been kind of like that, well, to varying degrees over the years. You know, there's always something I'm looking forward to. But, you know, I've always been rooting for Arrow and it's consistently been my favourite of the shows. Flash took its crown in its first season because the first season of The Flash is just so good. When Arrow's third season is not so good. But yeah, it's consistently been my favourite of them. It's consistently surprised me. I've really enjoyed reading what the people involved with it have to say just on Twitter or whatever, you know. I really like how involved Stephen Amell is with his fans, which he doesn't have to be. And, I mean, if you look at some other people on other shows that I won't name, it can be a bit of a front sometimes where they want to seem like they're in touch with their fans. And we don't know that it's not, but I'd like to believe that he respects us as fans as much as kind of we respect him. And he likes to interact with people. And, you know, I watched a couple of Facebook Lives he did, and there was one in particular where he was just picking random people that were watching and just calling them, which was really weird <laughs> people were answering it so you'd be sitting there i mean it didn't happen to me unfortunately but could you imagine you're sitting there and you know it's like for me like 1am or whatever and i'm watching this thing and 
And then suddenly it's like, Stephen Amell is calling you. <laughs> you know, people are answering in, in the way you might expect. People are like, what the, what the hell is this? What is going on? <laughs> but he doesn't have to do that. You know, unless it is in their contract, you have to do so many Facebook lives per year. You know, but you'd see some of the Arrowcast or the Flashcast or whatever just in between takes or while they were setting up for a scene and they would just go live for half an hour on Facebook and just speak to people or let people speak to them. To me, that's above and beyond. Definitely. Yeah, and I'm going to choose to believe that Stephen Amell is very in tune with the fans and wants to do right by the fans. He did always seem personally committed to delivering the best TV show that he could. You know, doing whatever he could in his power to make sure that the Arrow was the best thing it could be. And obviously your tastes will vary from his vision or the creator's vision or, you know, whoever's calling the shots. But the fact that they tried and kept trying is quite good. Well, it's, it's more than quite good. It's excellent. And it can keep you coming back as well. It's like, all right, didn't do the best thing this week, but they're trying and they're hitting the bullseye, to use a archery term, more often than not. So I'm really going to miss it as a show. I don't know what the Arrowverse can give me now, really, in terms of a favourite. Because, well, The Flash is wildly inconsistent. I'm not sure it'll ever get back to the heights it was in season one. Legends, it's a bit of a romp. And it's a fun romp, but mm. am I really going to like be as invested in it as a will-be Arrow? Because sometimes I feel like I just don't have to take it that seriously and... Not everything that goes on has much in the way of impact. Supergirl is a bit inconsistent as well. Usually starts off at season well and then falls off the wagon somewhere. Batwoman, we don't know yet. Black Lightning, I've lost track of. So, I don't know. Like, what's my anchor point to this universe now? No, that's true, actually. We've said in this podcast already, it's been so consistent. Yeah. Uh, As much as it's had its odd... The odd wobble, it's never strayed too far, so... Yeah, yeah, well, and it keeps coming back as well. It's that, oh, we tried this, and we recognise you didn't like it, so next season you'll get something a bit more traditional. That was the, you know, the season five almost feels like an apology hmm. for the last two seasons. And yeah. then season six is... See, I'm struggling to remember what season six was massively identified by. That's a weird one, actually. What was season six even about? I'm sure I'll remember eventually. Who was the villain in season six? So we went from Chase to... Was it not Diaz in that one? No. Ah, oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's a Diaz so, season. Yeah, so season <laughs> eight, season six had your cabal of villains, and that wasn't like amazing, really. I mean, it's it was a bit unfocused. I get the idea that they were trying to stray away from this whole one villain to rule them all. Ending, which it ended up being anyway once it, yeah, you know, once she got all. rid of the ancillary ones. So yeah, season six has that inconsistent. In season seven, it's that right, we're going to try something radically different here. And season seven's this: we're going to start like framing it so that the show can end. And I even like the little dalliances they had with: would fans accept if Oliver Queen was still a part of the show but wasn't the Green Arrow anymore? So you try Diggle out as Green Arrow for a bit. And I think under different circumstances, you could have. The show continue with Thea in the lead. Mm. I mean, the, the ship has sailed and that. that's not going to happen now and it can't happen now, but it could have at some point. I, I think she would have been strong enough to carry the show on her own if Stephen Amell decided to pack it in and 
hand over his quiver to someone else. And yeah, I, I think like, they tried little bits, but I think yeah. for them to have done it, they would have needed to have had Oliver hanging about in some capacity when they were doing that. And but I don't know if that was ever... Yeah, as yeah, a transition, definitely. Yeah. It would have had to have been a long transition to try and, and work it out of people's systems, I think. But And then I kind of thought they were trying to do that with Emiko at one point, but then obviously they mm. went a different route with her completely. Although there's scope for her to come back now because she's, you know, redeemed in some way. She's no longer the evil self. I don't know. But yeah, I'm struggling to say goodbye to Arrow. And I mentioned it in my review and, you know, I'm swithering about how personal to get on, on a podcast. But recently I lost someone close to me. And for that reason, the final episode really hit me in a way that I didn't expect it to. And I think if that episode had existed a year ago, I wouldn't have had the same reaction to it because I'm not the same person I was a year ago because of, you know, what I've experienced. Mm. And I think that sums up what Arrow's about almost better than anything. Oliver Queen's not the same person he was when the show began. None of us are the same people we were when we started watching it. So, yeah, it was just, for me personally, that final episode, I did not expect it to to knock me for six the way it did. But it did. Mm. And I think that's... Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's because of a personal reaction. I don't expect it to be the same for everyone. But also I think it says a lot about how dialed into genuine human emotion that the writers are. And the actors are. And everybody involved is. So I guess that's my final word on it. You know, just well done for... Well done for making me feel. <laughs> oh. Nicely said. On that note, we should head to our respective islands <laughs> or afterlife or whatever you want Af- to go afterlife. to. Afterlife. Our, our own personal open plan <laughs> office suite in wherever that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. What would be my ideal location? All I'm saying is if my afterlife turns out to be an open plan office on the outskirts of Edinburgh, I'm going to be gutted. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think this will be the last time we ever talk about Arrow, and I think we'll keep bringing it up as we talk about the other shows in future podcasts. No doubt. But yeah, thanks, Arrow production team, for giving us something really special for seven and a half years. So, that was our discussion on the end of Arrow. A special thanks to YouTuber Neil Stenson for his cover of the Arrow theme. If you like what you heard, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or any major podcasting app. iTunes users, please do leave a star rating and comment. If you want to discuss Arrow or anything else, then hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. As always, we hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod. <laughs>